Welcome to Dark Alignment Podcast. I am Brittany. And I'm Maruka Rose. And we are a true crime plus astrology podcast. Plus. Plus. It's a... <laughs> I've never heard you say it that way. <laughs> you know, I have never said it that way, actually. I don't know why I just did. Um, but this episode, we are doing season three, episode seven, by the way. Can you believe we're almost done with this season? It's kind of wild. Um, that, oh yeah, we're getting we're past the halfway. Yeah, we're past the halfway mark for the season, and just has, feels like it's gone by really fast. Um, but tonight we are covering the very first cult in America, and our first cult story, the Manson family. So we're gonna have a good time. Last time we were here, we covered the Zodiac killer, and we had a good time speculating mm-hmm. um, about who it was because it is still an unsolved case. Zodiac killer, like maybe, like, like yeah, like. like did you it, like how I said that? Yeah, that made me. I put "Call Me Maybe" to I, it on our post. I, love I was it. like, I was like, this is the song we need. I didn't um, tell you I was gonna do it. I just did it. Um, yeah, it made me really happy when I realized that's what you had done. We don't usually discuss our media things before we do it. We kind of surprise each other, and it's like like a game. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I'll be like, oh, there's something new on Dark Alignment, mm-hmm. and like. It, I like it a lot. Uh-huh, we do this it's to each fun. other. It's a game we play. It's a good time. <laughs> but this is behind the scenes. Um, speaking of behind the scenes, Patreon has been hanging out with us for, I don't know, the last like 20 minutes or Maybe so. 30. <laughs> behind the scene, getting everything set mm-hmm. up, kind of having some fun back and forth. Uh, Patreon. We got gets- to introduce Brittany to a TikTok trend, and you guys have to see it out. Uh, it was great. I did not enjoy it. Spoiler alert, I didn't enjoy it. She's um, gonna warm up. To I it. was subjected to it, uh, <laughs> but the episode before that, definitely, if you have not listened to season three, episode five, the astrology of Britney Spears, you need to because the full-on sister war on social media right now is out of control. If you haven't been keeping up with Jamie Lynn and Britney and they're back and mm-hmm. forth. Um, we cover their charts. I need you to update me after this. Okay. We cover their charts extensively. Maybe Mm -hmm. we'll do a quick Patreon update after the episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Patreon because you get more. Like, Patreon's always getting more and more things. So the weeks we are not putting out episodes, we are putting out Patreon episodes Mm -hmm. and you can join. We have three levels. Mm -hmm. We've got merchandise. All of that's on our website at darkalignmentpodcast.com. You can support the podcast for free as well. So you can like, you can follow, you can subscribe, you can rate, and you can review. And you can also now review on Spotify. Mm-hmm. So if you have the ability to review or leave a comment, tell us your favorite food and your Venus placement. We want to know those mm-hmm. two things. Also on Patreon, they can get access to our archives of all the notes, mm-hmm. all of Brittany's incredible notes, and all of the charts if you want to like have the visual when you listen to the I believe that episodes. is for the uh, top chart bitches that get that. Those top so chart we, bitches get yeah, that. Yeah, we also have the mm-hmm. murder moons and the pod stacks. So check that out. Um, all on our website. We still have stickers and candles and like cool shit on there too. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've got a lot to cover in this episode. We have a lot of charts to look at. Everybody has a fucking birth time, All you guys. of them have birth times. And I was, I looked at the at these people and I was like, none of them are going to have a birth time. I don't think any of them, and all of them did. That's, we've was, never had that happen, especially with covering so many people mm-hmm. in this episode. This is super, super exciting. So we're going to have really in-depth info on the charts. Um, and we have divided this up into kind of chunks of how we're going to talk about this Chunky. story. Because there's a lot here. Um, we aren't going to go heavily into detail about the actual crimes or, you know, the gory stuff. 
I feel like everybody kind of knows that. If not, there's plenty of places you can find that out. Mm -hmm. We're looking more into the individuals, kind of how they got involved in this, how they fell into it. Um, so starting with sources. Wikipedia, of course. Uh, wiki, please, wiki. Wiki, wiki. Please donate if um, <laughs> you use Wikipedia. And the Helter Skelter Forum had a lot of good info. The Biography Channel had excellent documentaries. The Manson Girls documentary is fabulous. Really enjoyed that one. Um, and another one called The Family Inside the Manson Cult. So I also watched a lot of interviews with former family members. Um, and that was just a lot of interesting insight that we're going to get into. But trigger warning. This is our trigger first. Trigger warning now. Yes. Right now. This, this is it. This is it. You've been warned. So you don't have to keep going on this journey with us. We're going to have a good time if you want to go. But now's your chance to get out of the car. If you're not Hop interested. On out. If you're not on the Manson if, fam train. If you get car sick and you can't <laughs> handle this ride, <laughs> it's going to get bumpy, y'all. Um, the rest of you keep all arms and legs, hands, appendages, noses, and appendages inside the vehicle. This vehicle or get out right now because we're full speed ahead into a murderous cult and we will be talking about some triggery things. I'll continue to give trigger warnings before um, some some of the areas that I felt needed them. Needed extra. Um, I sprinkled them throughout here just to kind of remind people if you're a sensitive listener, you don't want to hear a certain part, I do give some heads up in there. So, bitches to chart on this podcast. We're covering the Manson Girls. We're covering Susan Atkins, Patricia Kernwinkle, Leslie Van Houten, Lynette Squeaky Fromm in detail. We are also going to be <laughs> charting up Manson Boy. I can't even say it. Mans Do you want to say it? <laughs> the Manson Boy. Thank you, know. Manson Boy. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. The Manson Girls with the Manson Boy. I can't even. Okay. So we will also be covering Charles Tex Watson, um, and he is the only male involved in the murders that were committed by the family. So he's pretty significant. We're going to be touching, of course, on Charles Manson's shark, because we have to, um, but we hate his face, so please be Keep aware. that in mind. Um, we hate his face. <laughs> we will really be looking at him largely through the lens of one of his followers, Linda Kasabian. Since her testimony mm -hmm. was instrumental in building the case against the other family members. And his members, chart is insane. So we will go through all of that. Oh, okay. This is going to be good. So we're going to start with just a quick overview. We've been through all the warnings, all the things. Here we go. So the Manson family was a commune and kind of like a gang and led by Charles Manson in California in the late 1960s and early 70s. Um, they're most well known for the murders that they committed because they were just extremely gruesome, extremely violent, um, and very dramatic with kind of the way they left the scenes. So the Tate-LaBianca murders were a series of brutal killings perpetrated by members of the family. Um, the first, the first event, they killed five people on the night of August 8th, including eight-month pregnant actress Sharon Tate and several of her friends, including um, the heiress to the Folgers Coffee Fortune, Abigail Folger. Uh, there were a lot of um, a lot of famous and very, you know, kind of fancier, well-to-do people. So when this crime was committed, people really knew about it. It wasn't mm -hmm. a house full of just random people. It was well-known people. 
Uh, so deadly. Wow. It was also just extremely gruesome. And Sharon Tate's husband was Roman Polanski, the film director. So mm-hmm. he was not home that night. He was actually working on a film in Europe. So he was out of town, which is why she had her friends there. Because she was, you know, pregnant and didn't want to be by herself while her husband's out of town. So, um, yeah, but that is the only reason that he was not also a victim of this, most likely. So, um, Charles Manson, this is interesting. He was an aspiring musician, and he tried to get a recording contract with record producer Terry Melcher, and he had previously rented the house on Cielo Drive that Sharon Tate lived in, and that was his motive. That's why that house was targeted, specifically. So it was like a symbolic thing to him. Like, it was really not about who lived there. Mm -hmm. It just happened to be all of those people there that night. Um, He also hoped that these crimes would start a race war, which is fucking stupid. Um, Yeah. But he was allegedly pretty displeased with how messy everything got with the victims and the Tate murders. So he assisted in prepping the scene for the LaBianca murders the next night. Oh, like literally messy. Not like, oh, this is too much for me. Everything about it. No, no, written everything about it. Like literally messy, but also the fact that some victims were killed in the front lawn after trying to run away. (sighs) And like, there was a lot going on. Like they didn't have control of the scene is Mm -hmm. how Manson felt, you know, looking back at it. Um, So with the LaBianca murders the very next night... They targeted this married couple. They owned a local supermarket. Um, Manson actually went to a party at the house next door to them mm-hmm. like a year earlier. So that's how he knew about this house. So it's all just kind of by chance that he chose these people. Um, but because he didn't feel they had control of the scene at the last crime, he went on this one and he was the first one to go inside. So he went up the driveway and he came back and let everybody know, hey, everyone inside is tied up. Now go. So he went in himself, controlled the scene, didn't get his hands actually dirty, Mm -hmm. went back out and uh, sent sent his followers inside. They went in, they slaughtered everyone, they smeared messages all over the walls and the doors during both crimes that said things like, um, death to pigs and pig and the word rise was on one of the walls in the victim's blood. Like Whoa. they're doing this with their hands and like mm-hmm. writing. So, um, it just was really fucking horrific. And the whole idea was to scare people. Like it was supposed to strike fear into people and also to make people, to try to convince people that there was some sort of a race war, mm-hmm. um, coming on. on. So that was, again, the whole concept behind it was to start some sort of big social issue like he was trying to cause a social uprising but in total manson's group had around 100 followers they lived in like a hippie culture this unconventional lifestyle and that was extremely popular back then like this was during the free love woodstock movement so there's lots of hallucinogens involved lots of lsd involved so altered people are in an altered state anyway they're more susceptible in general based on that And most of his followers were young women from middle-class families, very average, very average suburban upbringings. And we'll talk about that when we get into the girls. It's so fascinating how they were drawn to this and how... Yes. Yeah. But it makes sense because the world Mm -hmm. at the time was so uncertain and, Mm -hmm. like, these these people, like, didn't have a lot of direction and were looking and seeking something. And Linda Kasabian, when we get to her section, really goes into that. Mm-hmm. Um, on exactly what she was seeking or what she found through the family. So really, really fascinating insight. So we'll get into all of that here in a minute. But um, they were all very vulnerable. 
And Manson to them seemed like this revolutionary spirit. He was much older than them. Much really? older. Yes. He, I will talk about his age and everything. Uh, but he was 32 when he got out of prison and started his cult around this. And his followers were late teens, early 20s. So he seemed like this older, wiser, mm-hmm. uh, very profound individual. So, um, yeah, they were looking for family, community, identity, direction, a place to belong. Like, they were trying to find themselves, really. Like, most At young adults. Age too, yeah. Yes. And um, this is a quote that really is interesting um, about what Manson says about his followers. He says, you threw them out and I took them in. Because he refers to his followers as America's children. Like, <sighs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, here we go. Manson Trash is the name of this section. So, we're going to talk about a little bit about how he grew up, a lot more about just... Uh, here we go. We're just, we're just going to go. Okay, Charles Manson had a pretty rough life growing mm-hmm. up. He found himself in trouble a whole lot, in and out of jail for crimes including forgery and pimping, which I found uh, very interesting. Yeah. So, when he was 12, that's when he first started getting in trouble, he robbed a grocery store. So, at 12, he's already committing... That's so young. ...pretty significant crimes. Mm-hmm. That's like a 7th grader. That's like a, a fucking 7th grader robbing mm-hmm. the store. He ended up in prison, in and out his whole life, and later, he was involved in a sexual assault while he was in prison. <clears throat> so, trigger warning... Uh, he actually sodomized another inmate at knife point. So major control issues. You can see that's what that's about. That's mm-hmm. about fear. That's about control. It's not necessarily about mm-hmm. sex or sexuality. It's dominance and control is yeah. is what an act like that is about. Like, I can do anything I want. Mm-hmm. So there's also a huge sense of entitlement, but like really wanting mm-hmm. lots of power, lots of control over another person. So... He was super terrible. Like I said, he was 32 when he got out of prison. Okay. Um, And this is, he just ended up being this, like, master manipulator of all these young people. And it did have a lot to do with the amounts of hallucinogens they were all doing at the time. So, in the family, one of the things he would do is he would give everybody LSD. And he would take much less than them. So, he's, like, microdosing while everybody else is, like, tripping their faces off. So, obviously, he's got the upper hand. Right. Uh, and is in control of the environment. So he would preach to them and say things like, man invented time. And um, like, just it would be these things that made him think it was this profound genius. Mm-hmm. Like he was just so smart. Like he was woke so wise, and, like, and they were high and mm-hmm. um, he can slip in some other, enough other things. Yes. His so, own wants. He told them they were living in the now and that time no longer existed. And they were not allowed to have watches at the ranch. We'll talk about the ranch here in a second. But they watches were not allowed because man invented time. Time isn't real. Like, whole thing. That's also an element of, like, not mind control. Like, my brainwashing and yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The so, time thing. He was also known to do things to test the devotion of his followers, which this is pretty gross. So he did it one by one. He would literally throw hatchets at them, like at their heads, and say things like, do you love me, and do you love me enough to die for me, and like majorly getting them to be fully like committed to him and trusting that he was this prophet. He would say... Uh, he was Jesus Christ. He would say he was all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Actually, in an interview I watched with him the other day, he said, all men are Jesus Christ. 
Like, he was just like, yeah, that's exactly it, man. Like, and he even talks like, we'll the way he everything. talks annoys the shit out of me. You, you, wow. you heard him talk mm-hmm. really. I will listen to this. You will probably laugh because it sounds like a, like a guy on the beach. Like I heard someone who, after I took like, my notes and stuff and I was watching, I heard one of those people mention the way he <laughs> kind of, like, speak. And I, was, I, don't, I haven't seen it, but I've heard people talk about it it's like really it. funny i mean it's almost just like yeah man like cheech and chong kind of it kind of has that vibe to it it's like that that era like it has this like yeah man Whoa. like i'm a surfer man like kind of vibe to it so it's real weird <laughs> especially when he says like stupid stuff okay so now we're going to talk about the ranch which is where they all lived so fun fact after an interesting run-in with a beach boy we're going to talk more in detail about this later Charles Manson established a base for the family at a place called Spawn Ranch, and he did this in August of 1968. It was actually an old abandoned movie set. Mm. So they were all living on this, like, big abandoned movie set. And the female members of the family did chores around the ranch, and occasionally Manson instructed them to have sex with the 80-year-old owner of the ranch, George Spawn. So he was nearly blind, feeble, old, old man, but, you know, the women also acted as seeing eye guides for him. So he found them really useful. He found the family beneficial, which is why he let them all live on the ranch for free. Because he was getting to have sex with these young women. And they, like, did they stuff for him. him and, and they did... Yeah, they were, wow, like, his what wife. a good deal. Mm-hmm. What a great deal. Yeah, they're, like, basically caretakers of this ranch. He doesn't have to pay them. And, yeah, it's just... Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a working... It's a strategic business model. Wow. Is what it is. Wow. Um, So that's an interesting setup of just like imagining this is the commune. This is where they're living. So it's private property also. It's a gentleman who owns it. So they're on a private ranch able to do this. It's kind of like out in the desert. It's not in an area that's well populated. It just kind of Mm -hmm. looks dusty, dirty, like... They're just doing their thing. They're just living their, living their life out there. So wow. we're going to get into Linda Kasabian's insight on mm-hmm. Charles Manson. So okay. this is really fascinating. She was really excellent to hear speak and talk about all of this. Mm-hmm. So she was one of the Manson girls who did participate in the Tate murders. She actually okay. did um, participate. They all did. Every time you say Manson girl, it's in my oh, head. No. Manson girl. I love it. I just love it when you do it. I don't love the trend at all. I'll put out a music video. Yeah, please do. I, I don't... Be on TikTok. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly it. Mm. Just to watch you, because you're super entertaining on there. Um, but, okay, back to Linda. So, all of the charges against her were dropped in exchange for her testimony. Whoa! So, she's the only one who's not, like, on trial with the other girls, which is why we're not covering her in that mm. section. Yes. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, this is, I know. Twists and turns, girl. I got you. Um, so we had to talk about her, obviously, for that reason. But we're going to start with how she got into the family. So she was 20. It's 1969. She was going through a breakup with her husband. So going through a divorce, like really hard times. She ended up moving out of her home, mm-hmm. living with a friend. And this friend lives on Manson's commune. So she's just like, kind of just ends up drifting over there like friend of a friend like mm-hmm. i've got a spot come have this freedom you've been going through a lot like come live this yeah. free love lifestyle right now and when she left she was looking for love freedom and god so she was seeking something spiritual she's 
this is really a, mm-hmm. the right type of vulnerability to be susceptible to a cult. Like somebody who's really seeking something like mm-hmm. this is going to find it and definitely found it in this small knit community here. So she was excited about the life she was going to have on the ranch. She was excited to be around people with the same thought patterns, like-minded people. Mm -hmm. One of the documentaries I watched was basically talk. She was, like, talking the whole time, like, the narrator and telling her story through the whole thing. So she said everyone was happy to see her when she arrived. Perfect strangers. So happy to see her when she arrived. And they made her feel really wanted. So... This is, this is a really common thing, part of the grooming process for cults. They want to make you feel special and mm-hmm. seen and loved. And the outside world doesn't love you. We love you. And mm-hmm. we're so happy to see you. And welcome to the family. We don't know you at all. Welcome. We love you. We yeah, love welcome you. to the family. So that warm, loving mm-hmm. welcomeness is part of the grooming process. Mm-hmm. So she also hadn't met Charles Manson yet. But she just was hearing how wonderful he was. And, Mm. like, her early experiences on the ranch were great. Like, Mm -hmm. she really enjoyed her life. The community was, like, loving and caring Mm -hmm. and, like, this conscious community. She talked about having a major attraction to Tex, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. Okay. Uh, We're going to obviously talk about him later. She, they, the two of them had a sexual relationship. And she said no one ever made her feel the way he did. Like, that was, like, her, her guy. Um... And the family often participated in planned orgies mm-hmm. fueled by LSD. So they're having, you know. Having fun mm-hmm. times. But they only dated or, like, kind of were exclusive with whoever Manson said. Oh. So he kind of, like, assigned who belonged to who. Uh, that He was very much in charge. Would he create conflict with that? I don't believe so. I think you were just promised to somebody. Oh. He just promised you to somebody. Okay. And so, so he- you couldn't like anybody else or, like... He just kind of paired... But she liked Tex. Right, but that's who she was paired with also. She was also? Yeah. Okay. Yep, yep. All right. So I feel like he did it out of like... I think it seems like he was trying to... He was thoughtful? Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know if he thought that like... Mm-hmm. I don't know what type of control... There's got to be a reason yeah. for why he would do that. Probably just to, he wanted them all to trust and believe him, so he's mm-hmm. going to put them with people they're compatible with. They're going to be happy. If he creates conflict, it's only it'd be against him. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's all a right. great. That's some good insight, though. Yeah. Like, yeah, it doesn't sound like he did that at all. It sounds like mm-hmm. he matched them with people that they yeah. were attracted to and liked, and not like making them do anything they didn't want to do. I think he always wanted them to believe that it was their will mm-hmm. and not his. And even in his interviews, like he denies responsibility to a level of ridiculousness, saying they might have thought that I was instructing them but I was not no they did that on their own like that's how he frames it he takes no fucking responsibility for any of it I wasn't there I didn't do it I didn't tell them to do it they did that on their own accord they might have thought that I instructed like it's nuts to hear I just set up a scene for them and then I just went in and tied everybody up and then I mean I was just gonna leave they were like no we have to do something and they rushed in I couldn't stop them that's his narrative like, it's really fucking gross. Wow. Yeah. It's a whole thing. So, he was in control of everything. The, I Also, it is a control thing of saying you go with this person. Even if it mm-hmm. is in, like, the other person's best interest, he still is, it like... still oh. is. He has the say. Yep. He's he's uh, approving. Almost like mm-hmm. dad has to approve kind of vibe mm-hmm. of who you're dating, which is weird. So... Linda still recalls all of this as being very spiritual and beautiful at the time. Like, even, like, the orgies and everything. Like, nothing was Mm non-consensual. She felt like everything was extremely consensual. Everyone was happy. Everybody was down with this lifestyle. Like, 
So that's at least mm-hmm. good. When you compare it to other cults where there's actual assault and people... Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously they're on drugs, but it's... I, I don't know. They seemed consenting to what the activity, and even looking back, she's saying, like, wow. it was a great experience, so I don't know. I wasn't there. Uh, <laughs> but... Charles Manson did use sexuality to break down the ego. Mm-hmm. That was a big strategy for him for the brainwashing, for the mind control. Um, yeah, it just, like, made his followers trust him more in the long run. Like, he was part of all of this. It's a different level of um, intimacy, like, when sex is involved. And if you're it making it positive and pleasurable. Job, I promise. Oh, I can't wait. It makes sense. He's just making it like a joyful experience and like mm-hmm. enjoying the sexuality. So it's like he's even more trusted. He's even more trusted as this loving person who has our best interest at heart. It's so, yeah, it's so <sighs> beyond anything I can even imagine. He even convinced his followers that he was both the second coming of Christ and the devil at the same time. He's both. Well, Just everyone like a, is probably both. That's exactly, yeah. That was about to say that. That's how he frames it. So, I even see his, his like, how he got there in his head. It's just like. I love but, this. Um, I don't know if you can see much of this on the chart, but his obsession with the racial war stuff that he was trying to start mm-hmm. is because he was extremely racist himself. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah, <laughs> super, super racist. He thought that whites were superior to everyone, and he used the Bible and songs by the Beatles as the basis of all of his ideology. So everything he says come from these two things. So when when the Beatles' White Album came out, Manson was super obsessed he thought they had tapped into his spirit with the record and, like, created it about him. So. Super, Everything is about him. Super self-centered, like, complete ego fucking maniac. Trying to break down the ego of everybody else when he's, like, fucking maniac here. Uh, he thought every song was about him and the family. So he mm-hmm. interpreted the song Helter Skelter as a rising of the whites. So he's nuts. He's just, like, super nuts. And the fact that it was called the White Album, like, he... He really he turned it into Mm -hmm. he found all these things that weren't actually there, Um, and Manson always wanted to become a famous musician, so it makes sense that he would obsess and fixate on these messages and like believe they were directed Mm -hmm. him through music Mm because that's how everything speaks to him. And uh, Linda vividly described how everything went down on the night of the tape murders in this documentary too, and it's super super intense. We'll go into that when we get into the Manson girls, but we are ready to chart the biggest bitch of them all, which is Charles Manson. Mr. Bitch. Mr. Bitch Trash. Let's see what we have going on. <laughs> Do you like that one? I like that one. Okay. I really liked that one. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Um... <laughs> Astrology of cult leaders. We're going to do like a little briefing. Overview. Briefing. Um, Excited. So there's some components to being a good cult leader, you know. Uh, You got to have the magnetism. Mm -hmm. You got to have that charm, the the charisma, the deception. It's like this captivating, hypnotizing Mm -hmm. thing. Um, You have to have the, the want to be that authoritative, controlling leader. Man, that's a we lot want of the power. That's a we lot want of the power. Yeah. Um, and you got to take action on those beliefs that you have, um, and and on your yourself. You know, like you got to. It's not not enough just to to want these things um, and to draw people in. You have to take like this strong action on what you want. So this makes sense when you when you break it down astrologically. Like there's definitely some themes that we see. Like 
the magnetism and the deception and like the charm like that can come through a lot with like Scorpio maybe a little bit of Sag um Leo energy um Pluto has a lot to do with like the power and control and also like the deception because Pluto a lot of people associate it with Hades where he he drugged Persephone down and then you know all of the story mm-hmm. um and <laughs> I'm not oh, going I'm not going to tell you the story <laughs> look it up you know it's yeah. a good story <laughs> google it um, and then with that control and power we see that a lot with like the these like people with mars issues also the action that i was talking about mars mm-hmm. issues um aquarius can also kind of want to be that kind of um like leader in that way this aspirational leader with that kind of power um Capricorn as well, but I think you don't see Capricorn as often with cult leaders because Capricorn really wants to do the work to build something. Where Aquarius might want to just kind of like into in innovatively jump into it. Like Okay. Um and like usually have like an idealistic like message. I have thoughts on a Capricorn in a cult. I feel like a Capricorn in a cult could be a really good like soldier energy for the leader and be like a really Mm -hmm. good right hand and somebody who wants to kind of do the work and like help to build it and like help Mm -hmm. to kind of like really work on the structure. That would be good. So I I wonder if anybody in our lineup has a Capricorn. Because I do have an idea on somebody who I think might have strong Capricorn Mm. placements based on like kind of what you're talking Mm -hmm. about. I'm try- I'm kind of trying to place some of the personalities <laughs> of the girls Ooh, and the followers. Okay. So we'll see if Let they're me know there. If you see anything? Yeah, I, I'm really I'm question I'm I'm speculating on which people might have some heavy, strong, like good cap placements that fall into mm-hmm. this category. I don't know if I want to say who it is yet. I though. could also see maybe like. Well, okay. All right. Yeah. Um. <laughs> then let's see. Where was I? And then the more with the action and on on their beliefs and, and themselves, kind of ego driven action as well. Um, more Leo, we see Leo influence with that. Maybe some fifth house. Maybe it just kind of would have to lay out the right way. Um, where Leo can really have that that like they want to be like worship that spotlight kind of <laughs> worship. Um, like they they feel like this is my place in the world to be. Everyone to be looking at me. Everyone to uh, the sun is shining it on me and through me and all of this. Oh God, that and, was definitely Manson. He really um, that. He really felt. Mm, yeah, um, Aquarius also. They can get really like thick. They're fixed. It's a fixed sign. They can be really, uh, especially if it has to do with like um, like activism, like an ideal, like wanting to um, bring a concept or a belief into existence like Aquarius can also get really like um like fixated on on making something happen okay Aquarius energy um and they really want to do it as like a collective so having again Mm. you get like that I'm gonna I'm gonna gain support I'm gonna like have all these people like come together and like support my ideal like so that that can all, that's also part of that um, I need I need a fan club I need followers <laughs> the community um of course like Mars shit with this again like the taking that action um 
And with on the beliefs end of this as well, like we will also see like Neptune issues. Like ah. um, they kind of create this like hazy um, image of the person, but also like hazy belief. Like they're kind of they kind of get like drawn into this Neptunian like almost illusiony illusionary thing. Yeah. Um, and they Neptune also can show a lot of idealized. Um, like heavy idealism, idealism, like uh, seeing someone as a god. Like if you remember back to the witch trials episode, like we talked about how the Pisces Virgo axis has a lot to do with like humans and God, and like how Pisces something can become kind of godlike. It's the oldest sign in the zodiac. It's the one that's like transcendent into the next like realm or next life or whatever. One foot out the door on life kind of feeling. So. They, the Neptune issues can bring um, people kind of projecting what they want onto this person to the level of them being like the savior, the the you know wow. the second coming or the or God or their um, well what what's it called when somebody has a message from God prophet a prophet yeah something like that. Um, so having some Neptune issues would also. Uh, <laughs> Help help your cult life, uh, your cult. So if goals. you're looking to start a cult, take a glance at your chart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's what this is for. No, that's um, great. With the so looking after saying all of that, we see a lot of the Leo Aquarius axis coming into play with the cult leaders. Um, we can see Folis coming in, like chiming in and, and being in a really strong or pointed place, making all of their thoughts and actions really excessive. Cause I feel like you have to really want to go far with this to like bring a whole group of people together to do this. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not like I have my beliefs and like, I don't want to put it on anybody else and I'm just going to like hang out. You know, it's not like that. Like no. this is we're, we're excessive with this. Um, everybody has to agree. Like, I'm going to put it on everybody and like, I'm going to even maybe kill because of it. So, um, traumatize people, whatever I'd have to do. Um, it's crazy. crazy. We also see them like kind of running from a Chiron placement. Um, they're kind of jumping to heal themselves and everyone else, um, at the same, you know, at the same time. Um, but it's, it's kind of haphazardly or quickly, you know, um, I could see Ceres, uh, Ceres also being in a, like a community type placement, like or something like with like the self power, um, idealism, God type thing, okay, kind of placement. Um, they can see we can see a lot like them twisting these really big beliefs that they have into a family like atmosphere where they become the god um uh. so this will light up like 12th house 11th house third house that, that kind of those kind of areas <clears throat> so do we want to get into charles Whew, i think we're ready <laughs> i think we're ready okay uh, okay Man. i just got like i know i'm like i'm this is a really exciting episode mm. and i've been feeling pulled to this episode for a while and then we covered um, the Zodiac, the Manson family, was actually suspected of some of those crimes. So we had some crossover really? from that episode, and I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, because I had been thinking about it, and I was like, well, that's obviously a sign we have to cover this story next, because, mm. 
-hmm. it showed up in the last story and i was like it was a sign because we've been waiting for the right cult we have and i'm Mm -hmm. glad this one felt like the right one actually we've had our listeners request this one before Mm -hmm. but we just weren't feeling it at the time like you know sometimes we just it wasn't the right time yeah but now it's the right time now it's the right time (laughs) and here we are and you guys are here i'm so excited to see charles manson's chart let's Um, talk right off the bat um I have some similar placements. Yes, finally. <laughs> finally. Seriously, you never have the same placements as these assholes we cover. Um, so I'm really excited for you to kind of get You know, it. me and probably Chris Brennan. <laughs> um, Shout out to Chris Brennan. But uh, it's, it's not the same sun, moon, rising, but the sun is in Scorpio. Moon is in Aquarius. Oh, like, like shit. Me. Um, <laughs> Also, he's born the same year as my grandfa- grandfather, and he has the same first name as my grandfather. What? So it's all, it's all this is really, really, really coming at me. I like it. Um, I, this, it's usually me. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's so many Pisces <laughs> killers and with like strong Virgo placements. It's placement. usually you, but today yeah. it's me. This is dope. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. But, but thankfully, I do not have all of the elements that I talked about previously. He does. I do not. Okay, let's do this. I'm like Charles Manson light. Okay, like I, I didn't do any of this. You're the, I didn't the do diet, any of the, the active version? thing. Um, the diet. The diet version is that what you said? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do anything like a watered like down Manson. <laughs> no. All right. I know. Right. I'm sorry. I'll this stop. is the one time it's similar to my charts. So I have to really, I'm really overly, go at it. Yeah, I'm overly excited. I need to calm down. I'm so sorry. Please continue. <laughs> okay. It was definitely, it definitely kind of, like, shocked me when I <laughs> pulled it off. You're like, oh, well, this is my chart. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, and it was also a little validating for how stressful my chart is because, like, he's obviously stressed. Uh, his is worse, I think, than mine. But um, one of the astrologers I listened to uh, referenced his chart saying that it's, one of the worst charts you've ever seen. <laughs> that makes me laugh. Um, so let's go. Let's get into it. Let's get it's into quite the intro. It. Um, so he was born November twelfth, nineteen thirty-four, at four forty p.m. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> he <laughs> has um, his rising in Taurus. Okay. Sun in Scorpio. And moon in Aquarius. Also, oh, I've just figured out. That's why they called, that's also why they didn't call, like, called Tex someone, like, by another name, because they have the same first name. Yeah. I did not, I just know. They always called Charles Manson, they called him Charlie. The family members called him Charlie. Mm. So they did not call him Charles. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. That's good they to called him too. Charlie. So they could have had a Charles and a Charlie. It's too confusing. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Obviously. Mm-hmm. So, um, in Scorpio, um, I'm just going to give you, like, a quick little, uh, another, another quick little insights here before I really get into it. Um, Scorpio sun is conjunct Venus in the seventh house along with Vesta there, but it's over in Sagittarius a little bit, and, um, Jupiter in Scorpio. Uh, he also has Mercury in Scorpio. Um, it's on the sixth house on Placidus. And then his moon is in the tenth house, conjunct 
his north node. Um, I also have the north node in my 10th house. Man. <laughs> and, um, he has Saturn and Aquarius as well as do I. Um, Saturn is on, in the 11th house on, in Plastis. So those are like some big, big spots. And then the other big spot on his chart is Leo. Like as I was saying, the Aquarius Leo axis. Um, he has the south node in Leo, Ceres in Leo, um, Lilith in Leo. Dang! So quite yes. a bit there as well. And having the right on the nodes, I think, is really indicative of this being like his his main story of his life, you know? Wow. Um, the Taurus rising also has palace retrograde conjunct it um so when i look at this i, I was thinking it's like a mix of the witch trials in my chart oh my god <laughs> it's like gross and fascinating that's fun <laughs> i was in a mood when i wrote these notes i put yum yum you did oh my god i love it i love these notes oh great okay i was in a mood <laughs> Gross and fascinating, yum yum. Uh, <laughs> some some inner self focused uh, on the on the collective. Very like, okay, internally self focused on the collective as a whole, like looking at society um, and how to innovate it into its highest order. Because um, <laughs> idealistic, all right, um, and this is like directly tied into his emotions like this is this feels like his calling because his moon is here in Aquarius and it's in the in, oh, it's in his midheaven it's in his 10th house and it's on his north node so this is like his oh he feels so drawn to this um he's living his mission he is living his mission <laughs> um to you know create this like perfect society in a way like uh at the core of it um yeah, keep in mind his 10th house cusp is in Capricorn, so it creates this additional th element of building an empire out of it. Like, mm -hmm. he's, uh, like, the actual placements are in Aquarius, but um, the cusp of the 10th house is in Capricorn, so he wants to, like, build something, this into something. Mm -hmm. um, and I think he had, like, the whole structure of society in mind. Um when he was like carrying out these actions um he wanted this this was like gonna be his goal and his legacy in life um, i mean i guess it was and he becomes known for it yeah, as midheaven it is what um, he's known for mm -hmm. i mean and you said it was the first cult yes it's the, the first cult in american history so he established that that he... is midheaven shit oh my god he established it and it yeah. is the legacy it carried yeah he <laughs> Yeah. The founder of this cult and cults in general. He <laughs> invented cults, um, um, which is just insane. Uh, as we're entering the Aquarian Age, this misguided cult-like, overly centralized, technologized, which I don't think is a word, but it looked like it when I I like it. it. No, um, go with fear it. Fear is something that comes up a lot with this energy um people really fear like the aquarian age because of it like mm -hmm. they're like oh it's gonna be like this like everything's gonna be you know um 
made of titanium. Yeah, like not like, <laughs> like irrational, less personal and like stressful. <laughs> Um, Charles is an example of these high idealized unified aspirations of leadership going south. Uh, when we see people, uh, when we see people get upset when businesses upgrade and innovate and like lose their personal touch for the oh. sake of streamlining things, um, like, yeah. oh, I'm just a number, um, to fit, but it's to fit a wider scale of people. Um, it's kind of that kind of thing, especially when technology comes involved, this is Aquarius energy we're talking about. Um, my point uh, being, you know, Charles has a lot of this in him and keep that in mind. Um, not that, not to say the Aquarian age is doom and gloom, but this is like the, a lot of the negative side of that vibe. <laughs> Got it. Um, that's a lot of the low vibe energy. Yeah. This is the, it kind of shows the fear that people have. Like, um, so he is, a Taurus rising conjunct Pallas. Um, Pallas is retrograde. Uh, is, he has a grounded approach to life in the way that places a heavy value on everything. Um, it makes strong decisions and choices, even though this Pallas in retrograde takes him a longer time to develop, which I now know that he was older when he did this. Yep. <laughs> um, that is really So it fun. did take older to, yep. he, till he was older to really like I, have do this. I love when it shows up like in the uh -huh. chart. Like, oh, and you don't quite get why <laughs> it shows up until... I assumed he was younger and I was like, this is okay. Okay. You know, I think before I really dug into the mm -hmm. research of this episode, I always assumed... I knew he was a little bit older than his followers. Mm -hmm. I think I thought his followers were younger and I thought he was younger too. Like I maybe thought he was maybe 26 yeah. and his followers were maybe 18, but his followers like were... Like you could kind of lean into like the young and dumb idea. Yeah, some of them were no. 22, 23, like they yeah. were all around 20 when they joined the family. So it wasn't and even... for him to be so old. Yeah, really he's he's like 15-ish years older than them, wow. some of them. 10, 10 years, I guess. Mm. 10 to 12. Dang. Yeah, so it's old enough to feel like, oh, he has a lot more life experience mm -hmm. than me. I feel like whenever I was like 20, though, I thought somebody who was like 32 was like way older yeah, than me. Yeah, I know. Like knew that. so much shit. <laughs> like, you know, so... If you think of it in that context mm -hmm. of, like, how young you feel yeah. even at 20, 22, mm -hmm. like... I'm trying to keep that in mind, for sure. Yeah, it's it's easy to lose sight of that. But I also, like, I right was ahead. I was having a kid. I was, like, oh, and really getting established. So, I, I don't know. Oh, I like, not that, not that everything was going that well, necessarily, but, like... Like, I feel like I was very, like, practical at I could age. have easily been a part of this cult. <laughs> I was a mess. I was like, yeah, you totally could have. That I was, age. A, I was an alcoholic mm -hmm. at that age. I was a drug addict at that age. Like wow. I was, I would have, could have easily. I was looking for all the things that people were looking for. Like, mm. I would have been a good like energy to go into something like that. Like yeah, it would have been, it would have been easy for me to fall into it. I think if I had it have, been I right. I don't know how old I was when you were that age, but I could have started a little cult and had you join. How cute. Well, you were like a child, though. Yeah, you but, were, you but were you, like... But you know. You were like 12. You would have looked up to me. I probably would. <laughs> I feel like you were very mature, even though I didn't know you. <laughs> okay. I could have babysat you. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Let's reel it in. Let's reel okay, it in. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> it's so easy to do. Okay. Okay, so Palace of Retrograde. It could take a longer time to develop that that aspect of themselves, or it won't, maybe couldn't, maybe wouldn't at all, depending on uh, circumstances. Um, a negative part of this, a negative thing about this part of his chart, um, it can bring this self-righteousness. Mm. Um, no, thank you. Or Taurus knows what they're worth. 
Okay, Taurus knows their value. Um, Taurus is going to give it to you. Um, Pallas is going to be discerning about it. And that's how he approaches his whole life. <laughs> so, great. Um, great. <laughs> more on the retrograde thing, because there's some more retrogrades in this, and I want to, like, just go ahead and get this out of the way. Retrogrades are an internal reserved action of the planetary energies rather than the external direct action that they would usually have. Uh, when a planet goes retrograde, it feels like the line between the conscious and the unconscious expression of it get blurred. It almost feels like kind of Neptune-y a little bit. Um, yeah. But more more like moon. And it doesn't matter. It does not matter. Uh, when <laughs> we can feel into the unconscious side more so during these times, then make adjustments, especially while it moves through its shadow directly after. Um, but when this is natal, it becomes a fixed position of feeling into the placement in only this way as a way of life. Yes. The energy of it is sort of slowed down in development, but in this you may feel more, uh, find more of those like synchronicities and the opportunities that kind of show up when you move slowly in life, you know, like mm -hmm. stop and smell the roses. Maybe you see like a bumblebee and then like bumblebees like, wow, that means this, you know, like whatever. Yeah. Um, you pick up on a lot of the small things, mm -hmm. little subtleties of life yes. when you're subtleties. moving slower. Mm -hmm. Subtleties. Subtleties. I can't spell it right now. So, um, <laughs> see what I did. Uh, you're not going to know what that says later. Either. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I will. Um, slowed down development uh, for this planet in your chart, but in this you might find those synchronicities and opportunities to embrace the good within this placement's retrograde. Um, so, what all does he have retrograde? Just to, like, go ahead. Uh, he had Uranus retrograde in the 12th house in Aries. Pallas retrograde, first house, Taurus. Chiron retrograde, second house, Gemini. Pluto retrograde, Dang. fourth house, Cancer. So remember those. Also, Humea is retrograde in Leo, but um, I'm not really going to get into that. So just if you want to know. Okay. Um, is that, I thought that's the symbol that I was trying to figure out what it was. It's like a Hawaiian yeah, okay, goddess. I was, like, I was like, what is that symbol? <laughs> I don't fucking know. Yeah, I... I've been incorporating it into my readings, but I haven't really used it. Hmm. Like, I'm just kind of observing at this stage. I'm I really, like it. I'm really slow. Like, I, I really try to, like, be discerning with what I use. I like it. So, um, moving on. The Scorpio Stellium. The sun conjunct Venus. Okay, Venus on the sun can make people come off caring and lovable and loving. Uh. <laughs> um... Like, what better person? Like, this is very, like, Jesus-y vibes. Like, um, oh, we've got we've got this loving, and his being feels like love. Like, you're, the sun is uh, your being, your That is how his followers life. describe him, too. Like, what you're saying is, like, he feels like love. Like, that's the kind of <laughs> shit they said about him. So it mm -hmm. is very much Like, when people on are point. like, God is love. Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe he wasn't a Scorpio, but, like, yeah. Um... <laughs> Also, you get that sexual component to Scorpio, of course, where right. we see a lot of that come through, and I'll talk about more of that in a minute. Um, but the Scorpio sun here is intense and passionate, and he's coming off caring and loving, and can so easily manipulate uh, if they want to. Like, it's this, it's kind of like, um, 
innate thing that can come through almost unconsciously with people with a ton of Scorpio if they like if they have that kind of intention going into something mm-hmm. um, especially in the way of his other placements all working together I could see a lot of very easy to manipulate things going on because <sighs> um, sometimes with yeah anyway he looking at like uh neptune and where's mars is and his chiron like i definitely see like some manipulation manipulating type placements coming through and i'll go into that more um but this type of placement can very easily attract like rider dies oh god uh, okay. which he straight up he literally wanted to make them. sure they loved him enough to die for him like here, do you love me enough to stand there and let me throw a hatchet at you and say this weird stuff? Like, uh. He's extremely loyal, romantic, sexual relationships. Um, and this uh. is even more intense, keeping in mind that this is in his seventh house. Right. Seventh house is partnerships and relationships and balance and the shadow and, like, legalities, too. But, like, you know, it's almost kind of like signing... Um, like, not a real contract, Like but a blood oath, almost, yeah. or like a, like a soul contract. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. they're devoted. They're so devoted. Yeah, they've basically dedicated themselves yes. in this, almost like a contract. Mm-hmm. I think having to make those types of verbal agreements of, yes, I would die for you, that's a fucking verbal contract. Yep. Like, they're, they're doing this. And then they mm-hmm. did sign, technically, a blood <laughs> oath when they committed these crimes. Like, so, they're doing very Seventh House shit, where, like, yeah. you're... It is the opposition of the t- the first house of the ego. So like they are like giving him their their ego, right? And that's what he was trying that. to do is break it down. Yeah, their identity. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Mm-hmm. God, this is so like <laughs> told I, you. This chart is really crazy. Um, yeah, told you. Uh, um, and then on top of this, he has Saturn square the Sun and Venus, which I also have. Um, <laughs> So, his Saturn is, like, right near mine, uh, actually. So, and also, something with all of my, all of the men in my family also have the same Saturn placement as me. Really? Yeah. And it's, like, the grandfather placement, the father placement, which is really... Interesting. Fascinating. He has it, too. Anyway. Um, <laughs> cute. Cute. <laughs> cute. So cute. My grandpa was born, like, weeks after him. <laughs> That's nuts. They, so they, <sighs> wow. Same first name. Okay. Um, his picture is in the episode. It's right here. This oh my gosh! <laughs> I forgot that it's He's back there all the time. He's in the episode. Mm-hmm. You know I need what? to get my grandma on the other side now that she's passed away too. Yeah, you do. Okay. Cute. So cute. All right. For all of you guys just listening, I'm sorry, but I had to say it. All right. Whatever. They love knowing more things about us. <laughs> True. And why Why we're... S- be obsessed with be me. Be obsessed with me. Be her. obsessed with me with But don't Scorpio. make a fake account because Stop that's it. insane. Every, all of you. I mean, I'm sure none of them listen to the podcast. It's like my part-time job now to find the fake accounts. I find, like, this week alone, I think I've shown you three and reported three of them. It's gotten really bad for... It has gotten really bad. Uh, for me, but also for all, like readers and like spiritual workers and also a lot of um 
like <laughs> my first thought was accountants because TikTok, but uh, like like sexual workers, like sex workers yeah. online, uh, they have a lot of these fake accounts coming up for them too. And they'll mess message you and they'll say, oh, can I consider for you for a reading? Or like, I've been called to you and blah, blah, blah. Or like, do you want to see these pictures? Blah, blah, blah. Like they'll give you a link and it's, it's a scam. So just try be thoughtful when you are on Instagram, especially. Yeah. But there are a lot of people out there trying to scam and those the people in these businesses, the real people are not going to message you like that. And if you see a fake Aruka Rose account, like, fucking report that shit. Please report it. Oh, it's getting so old. Anyway, so don't get that obsessed. Let's please <laughs> proceed. <laughs> so Scorpio also, he's got Jupiter and Mercury um, conjunct. This is... An intense growth through <laughs> this like liminal space type of speech. Oh no! And planning. Um, this communication will take him further on his goals. It will. This is Jupiter we're talking about. <laughs> Jupiter like is so benefic and like expands things for you, and you find growth and opportunity. Like he's he just has to talk, and he comes to him. And like, he just, he does say all this, like, liminal space kind of shit, like, time's not real, and we're just here in the space, man. It's transcendent, really. I'm transcending it's, right now. Uh-huh. He's so transformative <laughs> in Scorpio. Transformative, transcendent. This is, this is stuff that other people can't see. Anything that's, like, hidden, taboo, sexual, or occult type stuff, like, if he talks about it, it's going to, like, expand. I also have Jupiter in the spot in my chart. <laughs> So fun. Um, but it's it like, is in a different house. It's I have mine in the eighth house, and he has his in the uh, seventh. So um, for him, you see it a lot in his partnerships where he can like use this. Um, so it's uh, mm, um, <laughs> that's great. So, but I also don't have Mercury right there. I I think my Mercury is a little further over, not conjunct uh, my Jupiter. Um, but that would be maybe nice though for my. Anyway, uh, for the podcast, <laughs> like if it was like if job. it were a high vibing thing, this could be used yeah. in like a really positive. This I'll could be. Check, a really I have to double check my chart after this um, and it, see how, how close my Jupiter and Mercury are. Do a sinistry with Charles Manson <laughs> for Patreon. For, <gasps> for, for Patreon. Patreon, I will do it for Patreon. I'm writing it down. Oh, you guys are you willing know. to stay late to do this today? Fuck I, right. yeah, All let's right. do it. Oh right. my god, right after this Patreon, we got you. <laughs> okay we're gonna be so so oh, i don't want to think about it all right um jupiter in the seventh house again is expansion but this is in relationships um mercury in the sixth house is feeling his message is of service and it's nurturing his people uh, he's caring for them finding partners and on people in literal states of transition is also very Scorpio. Yeah. Um, that's where he's finding his opportunity. Yeah. And he's these finding people. these lost souls that uh -huh. have been cast aside and are seeking something and he's fucking got he's it. He's got it. He's, he's got it. it. Um, as we see with the heavy Scorpio killers, um, they are harder to uncover for one reason or another. GSK, maybe the Zodiac Killer, if you remember back to those episodes. Yes, please check um, those out if not. Charles, for Charles, it seems to be more like in within like hiding behind the cult. Um, where if he had acted alone, maybe he would have been harder to catch in a similar way to the other killers. 
like yeah. like the other two Scorpios on the podcast we've covered so far. Uh, but no, his involvement with the others altered this approach. Uh, and we see these personal relationships reflected in the Scorpio placements being in the seventh house. Um, the house of relationships and the shadow manipulative deflecting energy comes through. It sure does. Can, it sure does. Can <laughs> confirm. I've heard this man speak. It's a mess. Um, he's got Neptune and Mars conjunct in Virgo, which is in the fifth house. So he's really doing all of this in this place that feels really expressive and fun and joyful for him. Just keep that in mind. Um, this is actions <laughs> taken solely from his perceptions. Uh, even if those are illusionary or misguided types of worldviews. Um, but this is a joyful thing for him to act on these um, world, like worldviews that he has. Um, not a lot of like fact-checking after um, a worldview of him being the authority figure is established, uh, where he's already got this when you look at look at the other placements on his chart, like he's very, um, he really feels like he is an authority on stuff. Like he really values his own <coughs> um, approach to life and existence. So, um, with the Salem witch trials, these types of placements led to like sh a lot of shame of just being a person, yeah. being human. Um, in a way that a higher power would or would not approve of as his perceptions become the reference point to action, not only for himself, but he puts that on everybody else. Um, he gets to determine what is right and what is wrong in this human shame perspective, like trying to get rid of the ego and stuff. You need a healthy ego, okay? Like, I'm just gonna go ahead and say that. Mm -hmm. um, if, if we weren't here, like if you, you can't have a human experience without the ego like you wouldn't be able to hold boundaries with other people you wouldn't be able to like self-care like there'd be a lot of things that like you would just kind of wither away you need like, a sense ego of death self. is not good your sense yeah. of self matters yes. in all situations and anyone who tries to deplete that is a predator yes like that's, that's <laughs> bottom line yeah that's one of the things but that people do. But you do see do. a lot of these old messages like, oh, the ego is in your way and stuff. Like, I've heard that so many times and it's like, yeah, okay. Um, my ego is my sense and of self. You and see a lot of nowhere. issues come up when they try to get, like, dispel their ego. So, mm -hmm. um, anyway, moving on. Um, his perspective on this gets strong and deadly. Um, we see these get more and more extreme due to his chart and, like, personality you know it's shown in the chart uh there is a grand trine from his neptune and mars to his rising with the palace and his okay. juno and Pholus conjuncting capricorn um all making him even more extra committed to his <laughs> notions it will feel really good and easy for him to exercise this system that's on his chart uh, and it makes things even more extreme yeah which is what we mentioned earlier. Yeah. Uh, as, <laughs> as we said, he was known for regular hallucinogenic drug use, which you also will see with like heavy Neptune placements. Um, Neptune in this placement with Mars makes for a dangerous combo as the Neptunian illusions and delusions serve Mars his action orders. 
like Mars wants to know what to do and it wants to just go do it. Yeah. Um, so if Neptune is serving Mars the orders for what to do and he is doing hallucinogenics, <sighs> like you see where I'm going with this. Right? Yeah. <laughs> he's given some fucking whacked out orders. Is and he, and he's going at it. Like yeah. He goes. Yeah. And he has a good time with it. Yeah. He's, he's enjoying himself so much like through this whole thing. He's a very pleasure filled experience. Mm. For him all around. Ugh. And you see why, like, having it be in Virgo with the with that access, like, on that, like, human shame idea, like, where he kind of goes into the spiritual sense of, oh, I mean, Neptune already is, like, spiritual in a way, but, like, and connecting to other realms and stuff, but also how it's in Virgo and he's like, I need to, like, get in in here and fix this. Like, yeah. and, and, like, create and, like, yeah. The human shame Make stuff. Make some improvements. I just... It's so much. Yeah. It's so much. Um, he has Aries, or he has Uranus uh, retrograde in the 12th house in Aries as well. Um, which Uranus and Aries can already bring out like this um, kind of like spontaneous warrior energy. Oh, no. Oh, uh, I okay. But it's retrograde, so it kind of takes a while and it's kind of weird. Like, kind of doesn't act like as direct um and also you know this is someone who's not afraid to be individual to like stand against the crowd this is like um they're going for it they're going for it i also wonder if he was like really into like technology that was coming out if he liked it because i'm really cur i'm just curious about that um with the aquarius placements and this year in his placement i feel like it'd be like exciting yeah um anyway <laughs> 12th house but also maybe i anyway i'm gonna uh, side note doesn't matter. Fixation on the spontaneous war breakout is what really struck me with this placement. Because that's what he's trying to do. That's uh -huh. his goal. Like he, uh, in, and this was in all parts of life and literally with the race war that he keeps suggesting is going to happen <laughs> and how he is willing to like stand out and make it happen. He's gonna like. He's like I have jump an idea. Start. I and have he's to. gonna fix. He's gonna innovate this into like very Uranus. Like we're gonna make it happen. Like wow. Um, we're gonna fix everything. Uh, <laughs> innovate society. Let's be ideal. Um, uh, what and, a hot mess. And twelfth house is you know a lot of like subconscious stuff and like um, like isolating stuff. It can also have that godlike stuff to it. Like I was saying earlier. Um, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, he has Chiron retrograde as well in Gemini. And this is in his second house, like I said. Um, hmm. When your natal Chiron is retrograde, it creates even more difficulty to accept your early life traumas and vulnerabilities. Um, but you do have more introspection over them. And I think he did spend a lot of time introspecting on his... Traumas and the traumas of, and how he can heal everyone and himself, you know? I like, I think like that's a lot of his prison. ruminating, yeah. Yeah, I don't know why, but it feels like he did that in prison, which is probably why he was so ready to get out and, mm -hmm. like, try to heal everybody with what he's kind of yes. reflected on. I've spent all this time with myself, and uh -huh. I know what's wrong with the system. I'm going to get out of here, I'm going to fix it. Like, mm -hmm. that's what it feels like to me. That's just an intuitive hit. Also, when he was in prison, I'm curious what was going on in his 12th house with that Uranus placement. Because I think Ooh. that it was probably triggered, uh -huh. especially then. Um, his 12th house can also show isolation and, like, imprisonment. Yep. Um, 
And it could also have an influence on how he ended up in prison and all of that, but it's, we don't need to get into that. Um, when yeah, there is this, this added layer of discomfort for having human experiences of shame or pain where Chiron is. Um, however, this is a slowed down placement, like I said earlier, and he'll, he could find like more opportunities and synchronicities to help him embrace emotional healing. So that's probably why, where he felt like he was getting all of these symbols, you know, um, related to pain and trauma and healing. Um, being in the second house in Gemini, we see tra his trauma journey involving subjects of speech, dyslexia maybe, uh, early education, uh, common sense kind of stuff, expression issues, having a voice, um, health issues could have been involved with like vocal cords, the shoulders, arms, hands, respiratory system, um, all mainly affecting him in the part of life where he engages with the material world, where he gets grounded, um, and connects with his values. So I think like he really was trying to embrace those things when he was on the healing side of this. You see what I'm saying? So I'm yeah. not sure what happened in his early life that like really s like started the journey, but like, um, you can see on the other side how he was trying to like right. do something about it. Right. Um, a trine from here to his moon and north node offers a harmonious emotional connection to these traumatic and healing experiences, but also a deeply emotional mission on mm -hmm. a grander scale. You said mission earlier. I did. I said he's on a fucking mission. I like it. That's what it feels like. Yeah. Um, he'll feel like this, his healing is drastically improved by curating it as a goal for everyone as a whole. <laughs> Um, Aquarius heavy charts already have issues deciphering the difference between between feeling the energy from the collective versus their own energy. Um, especially like when it's the moon, it's like your emotions. Like it's like, am I feeling the collective's emotions right now, um, or am I feeling my emotions right now? Yeah. Uh, where like it's kind of similar to how like Cancer rising people and Cancer moons and stuff. It's like. Am I feeling this person's, like, am I picking up on someone else's emotions or mine? Or, or it, it blurs this line between individualism and the collective as a whole, mm -hmm. uh, society as a whole. So um, we see a lot of those themes with Aquarius. So. Um, also, you know, he's thinking on that, in that level, in that way. He's feeling on that way. His mission is, mission is like, like that. Um, it gets all tangled, is <laughs> what I wrote. Um, and with the Taurus second house placement, keeping him so like, all of those Taurus and second house placements, keeping him so self-assured in his own perceptions of his feelings he picks up on and how he operates off of those, it, it makes it very dangerous. <laughs> uh, potentially dangerous, of course. Um, he has Vesta in the seventh house uh, in Sagittarius. He is devoted to the journey of life. <laughs> very much the vibe that was like, of that time yeah um so yeah, he that had that that like, devotion free, soul yeah. devotion to that vibe like, yeah and he that would shine through yeah i think feels right. um and it was carried out through his relationships in the seventh house yep um some south node shit let's get into that okay i've swore more in this episode than any other <laughs> um leo south node lilith saris Pluto, Rx, 
Oh, fourth house. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. That's a whole bunch of shit altogether. Um, and Humea, if you're curious about that. Um, this will feel like he wants to... Uh, I remember like looking at this and I was trying to like make it into one sentence. And just like have it There's happen. so much going on. Because um, yeah. I can break it down, but also to just kind of like tie it all up. Uh, I, mm, it was hard. Okay, so he feels like he wants to go... Uh, he wants an ego death to save the collective, but also, like, can't give up his own power. <laughs> okay. Um, I put sassy. Uh, this is an intense south note. <laughs> you can hear it. It's so funny to me. I don't... I'm glad I mean, you liked it. Yes, I see. <laughs> you see where I wrote it. <laughs> I, I couldn't it. remember what this is called, but there's, like, a, an emoji where it's like this, like... Mm-mm-mm. It's that girl. I call it the mm-hmm. basic girl emoji. That's I don't the know what to call girl? it, but that's what I was. I wanted to put that in here. I always call her the little basic girl. That's funny. Uh huh. <laughs> I've called her that for like eight years now. And it's like I'd really like to just just like completely um, have an ego death to save the world, but also like <laughs> I like the power and the sex. <laughs> so like maybe we won't go all the way there. Um. So you know. He can't, it's almost this feeling, like, the South Node can be this thing where you reject that part of, um, like, it's your past, like, you want to move past that, you want to, like, go to your North Node, but you really use your South Node to get to your North Node, so, like, you see them get integrated, um, (laughs) so, like, he kind of, you kind of be, that's why I think when people talk about, like, you become your worst enemy, or you become, like, somebody you never thought you would be, like, someone you would never want to be, yeah, like, this can be part of that. Like, okay. Where it's like, um, and I see it in myself a little bit too. Like you, um, <laughs> you don't want to be like the South node on your chart. Um, and then, but as you, you need it to like move forward in it life. It propels you And to you end up being it as well. Yeah. Like you end up, and like when you're on, when you're early in life, when you're like more on the South node end of life, you look at the North node, like you want it, but it's also kind of like this weird, thing I don't, it's it hard feels to unreachable i feel like yeah that. so you're like i would never be like that i identify with my south note i'm really young like i don't know it's yeah no i get but that. also you don't and it's really weird um hard to explain probably i'm getting too far into it so um this is an intense south node for someone to have uh it is harder time it's that i was having a harder time feeling into it um feeling like this feels like something a person would try to block out of their conscious thoughts, but it would like sit in the back of mm-hmm. their of their mind. Um, there's a lot of struggle as this is a deep place of self empowerment and manipulation, but also a foundation of love and self love. Um, excuse me, it's so comforting and enthralling, but something that felt like it was the past to be moved away from. Um, Something that can't be avoided, <laughs> though, and that's very challenging to integrate integrate into a way of good intentions with the way his chart lays out. Um, like, he would have really had to work through these placements to not, like, have this malicious <laughs> stuff happening, I think. That would have taken extra I think effort. it would have taken, I think it would have been difficult, not that, not that the chart controls anyone, but, like, um... It can it can have a lot of sway, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like this became the foundation of what his North Node in Aquarius and the place those placements had 
him living to move away from, he became um, and created what he kind of tried to swear off. Like he became this like really awful leader um, that was like self-absorbed and like, you know, uh, manipulative and all this stuff, which is kind of like what I feel like he was preaching against, mm -hmm. you know? Um, like man invented this. They're trying to tell you, you know, like the man invented time thing, like mm -hmm. things like that of saying like reject these things. Uh -huh. they're, it's they're controlling us. But I'm gonna do the same thing in a yes, different way. That's like, exactly it's it. The same. Yeah. <laughs> um, same thing, different flavor. Mm -hmm. Different flavor. Uh, um, he, yeah. It's definitely an intense and upsetting, confusing like childhood with this placement. Also, I just don't know a lot about it about his yeah. childhood. Um, I didn't bother doing a lot on like deep dive on him. Just it I would have been. I hate researching him. I really wanted to look. I know. More I meant to look into girls. it too, but that's. that's and I right. told you I wasn't going to go deep on him because I didn't want to. But we have to cover him. I knew you'd go deep <laughs> on the chart, so yeah. you were like, "I'll cover him in depth." So I will be. He just is so cringe to mm -hmm. me, and he is. I apologize for not just biting the bullet and going deeper there, but it's okay. It's okay. Um. There is a massive grand cross on his chart, I should say. Um, it's involving these like heavy nodal conjunctions, um, the rising Uranus, Mercury, Jupiter all involved. Um, so you can really visualize his chart, chart's energy, like intensely difficult energies at play. It's very karmic. Um, and so you've got like the stuff with the nodes we were talking about just now. Um, the moon and Lilith and Ceres and Pluto and like <laughs> Jupiter and Mercury and Uranus and Pallas and the rising sign. It's all very, creates this huge like system on his chart of conflict and challenge and like pain, um, like difficulty, like, and it all is completely all tied into his life path. Like this is all like the main story of his life. Like, um, a lot of stress there. A lot, a lot of stress on that chart. Um, conflicting energies. In conclusion, though, his okay. chart shows the inner workings of his perceptions guiding him to take these actions that had these deadly consequences, I think. Um, gross. So gross. <laughs> My, um, an astrologer I like to listen to uh, called, his name is Edwin Learnard. Uh, he... In his video, um, like it was called like worst uh, natal charts or something like that, um, and he said he feels that Charles Manson is one of the worst has one of the worst charts he's ever seen. Yeah, he he mentions. I, I love the quotes. Okay, um, he said if anybody may pers may have personified evil, it may very well have been him. Agreed. He said, he talked about uh, a number, he has a number of adverse aspects um, involving the Grand Cross with Pluto at the, crit, and he, he does a lot of degree work. Okay. Um, at the critical degree of cancer. Um, his third house cusp, almost at 29 anoretic degree, critical degree of Gemini. Uh, he oh. said this can bring a weight with words. Okay. Um, like, kind of like we were saying earlier. Um with, with how his Mercury was also in Scorpio. I, I don't know if I said it or not outright, yeah. but that it, it's deceptive. It can yep. be deceptive speech, really enticing speech, that kind of mm -hmm. thing. with scorpionic, uh, intense stuff. Um, 
but the way with words that he's mentioning here, it can bedazzle someone, manipulate them, especially with the Scorpio energy as well. Mm -hmm. um, ease, it can ease furthermore um, in that, oh, he has more ease in the Neptune sextile to Venus and his sun placement. Um, which I, I didn't get fully into aspects here, but I had already written so much, like, it's we have yeah because we've been talking about <laughs> for like almost an hour alone yeah from just him so. so yeah it's a lot um he also mentions the 18th degree um where his son placement is being the noted as the degree of the devil um oh wow he he also has a that biz, he, he called it bizarre moon plate poor moon placement um meet where it is and to he mentions to overcome poor charts you want to really focus your energy on working through them so yeah it was, it was interesting to hear what he had to say as well i love um, it he was one of the only people that had really touched on his chart so very cool <sighs> so that's charles manson but we're gonna keep hearing about him through the eyes of followers as i talk mm -hmm. about each of the girls so now we're gonna go through the Manson Girls. The Manson Girls. If you are in Northwest Arkansas and looking for affordably priced photography and videography services, then you should definitely reach out to Nice NWA. Yes, you should. With photo sessions starting at $100, now is a great time to update your company's headshots, get graduation photos, new family pictures, and more. Looking for video work instead? Yes, videos start at just $300 and are a great way to boost your marketing engagement online with current customers and potential new customers. It's also a great way to create highlight reels of your next event or just to tell your story in an exciting and creative way. NICE is not just locally owned and operated, but is also a certified minority and veteran owned business that started right here in Northwest Arkansas in 2017. So go check them out on Facebook or on Instagram at NICENWA or by visiting their website at NICENWA.com. The Manson Girls. The Manson Girls. Overview. Manson girls. Overview. Okay, so. Quickly, we're going to run through them. We're going to cover their charts in a chunk because they have they are very similar energies in general. I don't know how similar their charts are, but like as people and their backstories, again, all American kind of girls, very similar upbringings. We'll, we'll get some insight in kind of what differentiates each of them and how they got into the family, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So one of the things that made these girls so captivating was the way they carried themselves throughout the trial. Mm -hmm. is fucking creepy as hell um <laughs> they usually wore matching outfits cute little dresses they wore their hair the exact same way they had this long dark straight hair parted down the middle looking almost like triplets they would hold hands on the way to court and they would sing songs together so they're singing these creepy little like ah, songs mm -hmm. while, and so it's this really crazy thing everywhere they went and they were acting under Manson's direction the entire time throughout court they laughed and giggled throughout the proceedings and to clarify this is Patricia Leslie and Lynette no no this, this is, is Susan Susan Patricia Patricia and Leslie, and Leslie. okay um because squeaky did not actually commit any of the crimes she was like din mother his she's the one who still right. is a devout follower we're gonna cover her in more detail she's she's kind of next layer mm -hmm. uh, but I'm right excited. now we are gonna cover Susan, Patricia, and Leslie, the three Manson girls that you'll see in all the videos actually like going on trial. They committed the crimes. They are 
um, still devout followers of Manson at this point in time. Um, yeah, they were like the girls next door, basically, which is another thing that makes it so creepy and made it so, like, crazy for America at the time to see this uh, on display. So, we're going to start with covering Susan Atkins. She was described by people who knew her as quiet, self-conscious kind of girl. She was in the Glee Club at school. She was a member of the choir at her local church. So she, you know, had these activities and commitments. She liked to sing, obviously. For the most part, she lived a pretty average middle-class suburban life until about the age of 13. Of all the Manson girls, she was considered to be the most deprived. So she's one that had a little bit more challenge uh, with her early life than the other girls. But they were all pretty average still, you know. Um, but at this time, Susan became very rebellious. Things really, like she was already kind of going through that rebellious early teen kind of mm -hmm. stage um, at about 13 years old, which is a little bit young to start rebelling. Like most kids kind of like maybe 15, maybe the time they can like drive and stuff. But, you know, for 13, she's, she's pretty rebellious. But it gets worse after a family tragedy because her mother ended up passing away from cancer when she was 16. Mm. So that's really hard for a young girl to lose their mother, especially to watch her be sick and all mm -hmm. of this. Um, and, you know, she was definitely, like, really loved her mom and was sweet and caring. Like, she actually organized her church to go, like, stand outside her mother's mm -hmm. window at the hospital and sing Christmas carols or Christmas night. Like, she, like, was a really caring girl despite having some rebellious tendencies like yeah. she still really loved and had a close relationship with her mom so that loss was heavy for her um then in 1967 when she's 19 years old susan meets uh, charles manson he actually shows up at a, a house where she was living with some friends mm -hmm. came hung out he's there he's playing guitar so you know he was loved music wanted to be a musician mm -hmm. so he's kind of hanging um and then he you know at this point in time, people are kind of crashing on sofas for a while. Like, you're hanging out at a house. You're kind of living there. It is yeah. kind of like a mini commune lifestyle, like mm -hmm. young people all kind of crashing together. But this house was raided several weeks after she had moved in there uh, by the police. And then Susan mm. was left homeless at the time. So she's in, like, a bad situation. And, of course, Predator Manson invited <laughs> her to join his group. And they were all about to go on a summer road trip in a converted school bus that he painted completely black. So, sounds mm. great. Hopping in. Um, another weird thing about the family that I think is interesting is he gave all of the family members nicknames. We already talked about Tex. You take Watson. away their identity. You take Correct. away their name. Correct. And they usually have multiple names. And this is a part of grooming. It's part of the mm -hmm. conditioning where you are getting depersonalized and, like, getting a new identity in this family. Um, but she was known as Sexy Sadie. Sadie was how they all knew her. And it's interesting because it's similar to Susan, but not really. So mm -hmm. it's like a, it's a, like a new identity building upon your old ones, sort of, is what it feels it's like. It's like but when you adopt a dog, you're supposed to choose, like, a new name for it. Yes. I'm going to make it mine now. He, he was, like, making it them It could his. be similar, but, like, you want to yeah. give them, like, a new life. Like, he was yeah. making them his and kind of rebranding them into, like, the family. So, um, and Susan later claimed that she truly believed Manson was Jesus. And she went on to participate in the killings. She was, she was involved in both of them. She was literally doing anything he said. 
She also had a child with a fellow cult member, but her parental rights were terminated after she was arrested, obviously. No one in her family would assume responsibility for the child either, which is kind of sad. So her son was adopted and renamed oh. after after the the slayings and convictions. So wow. um, I hope he's doing well wherever he is, because that's really sad. Um, but she was convicted and originally sentenced to death, but that was commuted to life later. This happened for everybody mm-hmm. in the family. She actually died in prison. We have so we have a death time for her, or not death time. Oh, we have a death okay. date, but September twenty yeah. fourth, two thousand nine. Not that long ago. Yeah. So that is Susan Atkins. We're going to move on to Patricia Krenwinkel. Okay. So um, she is the one that I was wondering if maybe had some heavy Capricorn placements. Because she was like soldier energy for him. Jupiter and Pholus, both retrograde and vertex. Huh. (laughs) I put over here like... Oh, wait. Patricia? Yes. Wait. Okay. No, no, no. Sorry. Pholus, Juno, and Venus. So, yeah. Okay. All right, so similar to Susan Atkins, she grew up, Patricia grew up in a really normal home, middle class, same kind of shit. Her dad was an insurance salesman. Her mother was a homemaker. She was described as a really good kid. But unfortunately, she had a really hard time fitting in when she was young. And this is, this is an issue that we see with people who end up having struggles with antisocial behavior later in life. Mm-hmm. Peer rejection is a common risk factor. So, not that it causes anything, but it is a risk factor. So, depending on how it manifests within the person combined with other, you so know, this, kind of... When was she bullet? When was this? What age? Type? Generally speaking. Like, this was her younger life. Like so elementary like, school. Yeah, that's what I'm... Like young So, pre-teens. in her third house, Lilith and Pholus are there. And if she had, like, a bad thing going through, that's definitely... And this is in this is Lilith in Aquarius being an outsider, being bullied, being yeah, yeah I was outcast. To, literally, I was about to say she was bullied at school by other <laughs> students and was frequently teased for being overweight. Yeah, she had low self esteem from this as a result. The other kids also. This is awful. This upsets me. They made fun of her for having an excessive growth of body hair. It was caused by an endocrine mm. condition, so she couldn't fucking help it. And these kids are just kind of torturing her. She was kids bullied are, for excessive stuff, which is also Phyllis here. Yeah. So that, wow. that is like breaks my heart for any child. You know, there's something you physically can't help mm-hmm. about yourself and other kids using that. But that's it's just awful. It is awful. But she was, by all accounts, a really good kid. And she even considered becoming a nun at the age of 17. Wow. So she was raised Catholic. You know, mm-hmm. uh, her parents divorced around that time as well, though. So like, around, like that's a really tough time. Seventeen to have your parents divorce, like you, like it's that's a hard time. That's really tough. It's a hard age. Yeah, you, you I really mean all of it, but I'm just thinking about that specifically. That specific age, it just feels really, really challenging. Any, any kind of separation and breaking up of a family is hard, but I think some ages it, it hits a little harder, and yeah, so that was tough on her. She still ended up going to college. She went to college in Florida, which is kind of fascinating. Cool. But then she dropped out after one semester, moved back to California. She moved into an apartment with her half-sister, and she found a job being a processing clerk. So she's living kind of a normal life. She seems to be dealing with her, um, like, mm-hmm. issues pretty well. She's 20 years old at this point. So she's one who's, again, 20 years old is kind of the common age when they meet him. She meets Charles Manson in Manhattan Beach, along with Lynette Squeaky Fromm. And another member of the family, a female. 
So trigger warning, trigger warning, here we go. In later interviews, Patricia, Patricia said that she had sex with Charles Manson the night that they first met. Mm-hmm. And that he was the first person who told her she was beautiful. And it's just like such a fucking predator move and he's grooming her and gross and I fucking hate it. So I want to give a trigger warning for that just because it felt really disgusting and manipulative mm. and like preying mm-hmm. on someone who had like that esteem issue and then like bringing them in, making them feel loved and special. It just really grossed me out kind of the way he did that. Super nasty. I hate it. Uh, but she enjoyed the attention that he gave her. She was drawn to him like a lot of the other young people. She decided to leave her life behind and go to San Francisco with Manson and the girls that she just met. So she literally left it all behind. Her apartment. Mm. Her car. Her final paycheck from work. Like, she just fucking abandoned her life. Wow. And let's talk about her nicknames. Are you ready? Yeah. nicknames are the best part. She had more nicknames than anybody else. Is that good? Is that bad? Uh, you know, so they called her, I don't know, but mm. they called her Big Patty, Yellow, mm. Marnie Reeves, and Marianne Scott, but the most common name they called her was Katie. Okay. Nothing like Patricia, I don't know. Um, but she hopped on that black school bus, and she rode into the night with them. But here's a direct quote on how she described this time of her life with the family. The, the quotes really do it for me. We were just like wood nymphs and wood creatures. We would run through the woods with flowers in our hair, and Charles would have a small flute. Sure. So they're like playing pretend. They're like living this really idyllic kind of fantasy lifestyle um patricia was still described as being very quiet uh and in the family they described her as a good soldier that was literally how they she she was good at taking orders she was really obedient like she did what she was told um she has moon conjunct saturn so i could see that. okay anyway keep going with pluto so this is another super interesting thing that ties manson more into the music industry and i mentioned the beach boys earlier now i'm going to get into that whole little thing i kind of alluded to so um patricia and another one of the girls from the family were hitchhiking one day that's how you traveled a lot back then this is the late 60s and early 70s hitchhiking was a thing and uh they got picked up by uh the founding member of the beach boys dennis wilson so like that's kind of crazy Uh, He brought the girls back to his place, which ended up being a big mistake because they called the family and were like, hey, we've got a spot to hang out. So the entire family ended up crashing Mm -hmm. at his place. And this lasted for a few months before it became a huge financial issue. And that's when um, Dennis Wilson had to kick him out. And that's how they ended up at the ranch. But Dennis Wilson said there was like the first time he met Charles Manson, like he went home to his house and Manson answered his door and welcomed him into his own home. Like, okay. Yeah, that's the level of, like, power trip. Mm-hmm. I'm going to welcome you into this space that is now mine because I'm here. Like, it, oh it's so, it's so, like, grossly overstepping. Um, but anyway, so back to Patricia. When she was asked what she felt about her participation in the murder, she said, nothing. I mean, what is there to describe? I was just there, and it was right. That's, that's okay. She, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So extremely removed, 
it feels very dissociative mm-hmm. from everything that they had done. Again, she was sentenced to death, commuted to life. At the beginning of her life in prison, she remained loyal to Manson and to the family. But over time, she started to break away. She started to distance herself from them. And since then, she's maintained a perfect prison record. She received a bachelor's Mm. degree in human services. She also shows remorse for her crimes now. In a Diane Sawyer interview in 1994, she stated... I wake up every day knowing that I'm a destroyer of the most precious thing, which is life. And I do that because that's what I deserve, is to wake up every morning and know that. And then during the same interview, she expressed the most remorse for what she did to Abigail Folger, saying, That was just a young woman that I killed who had parents. She was supposed to live a life, and her parents were never supposed to see her dead. Yeah. And during that same interview, she said that Charles Manson was absolutely lying about not ordering the murders. She said there wasn't, this is a direct quote, there wasn't one thing done that was even allowed to be done without his express permission. Mm -hmm. That got chills. In one of her parole hearings, uh, she tried to claim that she was suffering from battered woman syndrome as a result of Manson's abuse, but the board didn't seem that convinced. She's been denied parole more than 14 times. She's still alive in prison today. She's 74 years old. She's probably going to uh, die there at this point, you know? Mm-hmm. All right. Final Manson girl. Again, they're all pretty similar. We're going to talk about Leslie Van Houten. So, when we look at Leslie... Things, like the other girls, started out okay, but for her, it got pretty bad pretty fast. She Mm -hmm. grew up again middle class, church-going family, same old story. She had an older brother and two adopted siblings, and they were a brother and sister from Korea. So I thought that was kind of interesting that she had this, like, kind of blended, adopted, uh, unconventional family for the time that she grew up. Like, she was born in 1949. Like, you know, we're looking at times where... That wasn't super common. Like, it's much more common now than it was back then. So I thought that was kind of cool. But she was super close to her dad. Major daddy's girl. She was described as athletic and outgoing. She was elected on the homecoming court in high school. So people liked her. Um, But her mother and father divorced when she was 14. And again, divorce wasn't even common back then. And you see that pattern with these girls, too. Mm Mm-hmm. True, yeah. They're coming from a like, this perfect, idyllic, picturesque family of what everybody wanted at that time in the mm-hmm. 60s and 70s. And, you know, divorce was a very taboo thing back then. So to have that wow. experience then is even different than it is now because it's far less common. Mm-hmm. So that's, again, we see the same pattern, the same template of the type of person that ended up being a member of the family. Wow. They all have this same kind of template going on. So, you know, after the divorce, things started to spiral. She started doing LSD. So she was already using hallucinogenic drugs, benzos, smoking hash. This is all around the age of 15. She ran away for a while. Um, She did come back to complete high school. So she, like, Mm -hmm. but was falling, you know, kind of off the straight and narrow path here. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. At age 17, she became pregnant and her mother forced her to have an abortion. So that's tough to deal with. Um, Later, her mother told her that the procedure could not be referred to as an abortion because the fetus was too mature. So that's kind of intense. Um, So she actually, this is awful. This is awful. 
Her mother instructed her to bury the late-term aborted baby in their backyard. So, like, to have, like, a funeral, sort of. Mm-hmm. Like, that's fucking horrific. She's 17 it years is. old. So, this is a really um, terrible, terrible thing. Very traumatic thing to go through as a young woman. To be dealing with, first of all, the hormones of, like, mm-hmm. your changing body. This emotional aspect of, and the mm-hmm. sense of loss and the sense of shame. And this, then having to do this, like, funeral. It's like, it all feels against her will. Yeah. So... Terrible. Yeah, Leslie stated that after this event, she felt very removed from her mother. She harbored mm-hmm. an intense anger towards her. I, I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, I can only fucking imagine. But after all this, she had a period of time where she was really interested in yoga. She actually took a year-long uh, secretarial course, too. So she's trying to, like, do mm-hmm. these spiritual things. She's mm-hmm. seeking some sort of... And back then, yeah. This yeah. Yoga would have been a very spiritual thing mm-hmm. to seek out back then, especially. Yeah, very different, very, yeah, unique back then. Like, you see her trying to heal herself, trying to move mm-hmm. past everything. It makes me wonder, like, what is her, like, Chiron situation looking like? If she She's trying to move past it pretty early, so I don't know if it... It's in... Oh, I can't find it. Uh, Sagittarius. So, yeah, I mean, it ah! also makes sense why she would kind of look for, like, that spiritual, that spiritual component. Thing. It's yeah. in the... Um, it's right at the end of the third house on the fourth house cusp, so. Okay. Kind of, like, doing kind of, like, community type things like that. Actually, this is very on brand, because we're going to talk about how she got into the family now. So, she ended Mm. up becoming a hippie and living at a commune in Northern California. So, she's already living on some random hippie commune (laughs) before she meets Manson. So, she's seeking this out before she ended up in a cult. She was already gravitating. Okay. She was following, um, she ended up following another member of this commune to Manson's Mm -hmm. family. So... It's, she went from one kind of commune to another. The ranch, though, was super isolated. She's like 19 years old. She's very impressionable at this age, obviously. She called her mom when she joined the family to let her know that she was leaving and would not be making contact ever again. So she basically like said goodbye to everybody, sort of a thing. Uh, and the ranch was based on this idea of free love, like how we talked about where Charles Manson's in full control. He decided when they would eat. When they would sleep, when they would have sex, he decided who they got to have sex with. He, like, the LSD stuff mm-hmm. where he gave his followers large doses and he fucking microdosed. Mm-hmm. If he even took any at all. So, um, yeah. He always wanted to have the upper hand. According to Manson, this is, this is a direct quote. When you take LSD enough times, you reach a state of nothing, of no thought. So that's what he liked. That's the state he liked his people in. So he had the most influence and the most control. Um, And then when Leslie reflects back on it, she said that she was saturated in acid is how she remembers it. Saturated in acid. Yes. I I like quoted it here because it it stood out to me so much when Mm. I was hearing her talk. Um, She could not grasp the existence of those living in a non-psychedelic reality. Other members of the group, especially the younger ones, considered her to be a leader in the family. And it's also interesting that Leslie wasn't involved in the Tate murders. So the first set Mm -hmm. was Sharon Tate, like the night that was messy. She was not involved in that, but she was involved in the LaBianca killing. She was chosen. You were chosen for these missions. He, He strategically picked out certain people and omitted other people 
You were special. His crimes. Yes, you were special. You were chosen. So it's almost like the group one didn't do a great job. He didn't take all of the same people back out for the second night where he went and mm-hmm. tied everybody up. So he, it's almost like he was like, that group didn't do as well. I need my mm-hmm. leaders. I need he my He picked most. the Virgo to go on this one. Fucking yes, he did. He oh my God, unless she was a Virgo. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. He, he picked her to go. He needed someone who was, you know, going to follow the rules a little bit. Of, and, like, he just wanted more control. Mm-hmm. So, we're going to go ahead and go through her nicknames, because we have to. <laughs> These are so random, because her name's Leslie, once again. They called her Luella Alexandria. They called her Leslie Marie Sankston. Linda Sue Owens and Lulu. I heard most of them talking, referring, like most of the family members calling her Lulu when they would recount the stories because they called each other Sadie and Lulu and like they did, and Katie. They didn't call each other by the names we, like the legal names. Mm -hmm. So she had some court drama. I don't know if this shows up on the chart, Um, but her original conviction and sentence of death were overturned by an appellate court decision, and she was granted a retrial. Which is pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, her second trial ended with a deadlocked jury and a mistrial. So that's all kind of crazy Uranus stuff. trying the seventh house comes. Woo-hoo. And a lot of oppositions on it. I love it. Um, at her third trial in 1978, she was convicted of two counts of murder, one count of conspiracy, sentenced to seven years to life in prison. She's 72 and still in prison, you guys. She's not getting no. out. So those are the three main Manson girls we're going to be covering um, and then after that, we're going to get into Squeaky Fromm, who is like yeah. extremely significant, and then Tex. So we're, so we're working our way through in Chucks. Yeah, so a little bit on them. On the Manson girls is uh, <laughs> Susan Atkins was born May 7th, uh, 1948. And, oh, I cut off her birth time on here. Um, she was 1.03 a.m., Okay, I remember you looked at In my memory, I got it. Yeah, I remember you saying Um, that. And then Patricia was born December 3rd, 1947 at 4.41 a.m. Leslie was born August 23rd, 1949 at 5.51 a.m. I remember that one too. So we've got Leslie... The Taurus, she's got a Taurus stellium. She's also a Taurus rising. Um, a lot of that, uh, or no, why would I just say Taurus? Virgo. Jeez, jeez, I just said they're oh, complete. You, I just well, that's totally said the wrong thing. Susan's a Taurus. Yeah, so uh, Virgo rising, Virgo sun, Virgo palace, Virgo Saturn, Virgo Mercury, Damn. Virgo um, Ceres. So a lot going on there. And um, her moon is actually... Uh, conjunct her son, but on the other side, it's it's on it's in Leo. Um, That's then, so interesting because with all the Virgo and that when he needed the job done right, like mm-hmm. after he felt like the first group didn't do a good job, he like swapped someone out yeah. and brought her in. And she's probably got like this this like fiery like pull in her personality because she has Lilith conjunct North Node in Aries. So wow. very interesting. Also Jupiter conjunct Pholus in Capricorn with the ver- with the vertex. So also like that Earth energy there. Um, Venus and Libra wanting to have a partner around. Also, all of these girls had Neptune in Libra, uh, mm-hmm. which I see. I could see a lot of them acting really like 
kind of like weird Neptunian in court situations with that. Oh, yeah, they did. They did weird stuff um, in court. Like, you would have to look at it more specifically with the transits, but um, for the sake of time, um, we're just going to kind of leave it at that for now. Yeah. Um, Patricia had, was a Sagittarius with a Leo moon as well. Um, she had a Leo study. She, her chart is kind of like all spread out. So she had a lot of placements all over. But um, her north node is in Taurus. Uh, she had Chiron and Mercury uh, conjunct the south node in Scorpio. She has Jupiter on her sun in Sagittarius, which is a really interesting placement for this. Um, uh, let's see. Susan is a Taurus with a uh, Aries moon. Murder moon! <laughs> she had a murder moon, you guys! <laughs> um, and Aquarius rising. Um, I am looking at, kind of taking note of all their Lilith placements, but something that I noticed was they all have fire moons. That's really, really crazy. Right? Um, and then their ascendants. Let's see. What was? Uh, we have a Virgo rising, a Scorpio rising, and an Aquarius rising. So, really interesting. Just looking at their charts overall. Yeah. Um, do you want to get into Lynette? Yeah. Let's go. So, Squeaky, Lynette Squeaky from is such a, even though she was not involved in any of the actual killings, she's been an instrumental component of the family which is why we got to go into her chart mm -hmm. much deeper she's very fascinating so we're going to start with her childhood so her parents had a tumultuous relationship okay this had a really really significant impact on her upbringing this is a huge risk factor for maladjustment for anyone who grows up with like that tumultuous kind of unstable young life conflict in the home conflict between the parents it makes it very confusing for the child because this is kind of what's modeled to them. So this is a hard way to grow up no matter what. It's not an obstacle that can't be, like, you. it's not something you can't overcome. <clears throat> it just complicates things and kind of gives you a rougher start mm -hmm. to life. It kind of sets you up for having less um, chance to make, like, positive social interactions because you're seeing so much negativity and that's what's modeled and returned back to you in that type of tumultuous way. But... Considering how she grew up, she was decently well-adjusted. She grew up in a middle-class family in the suburbs, just like the other girls, and they all had that in common. So it's just so interesting, like very average American girl next door, which again was what freaked people out so much. With When you look at the violence of these crimes, when you're looking at people writing stuff on the walls and blood of their victims and gruesome stabbings that were just horrific, like mm -hmm. absolutely horrific bloodbath in every single one of them, committed these crimes like like Manson wanted them to all he said get their hands dirty so they're all doing the dirty work except squeaky obviously who was not uh chosen to do that so when she was young she was described as being quiet and sensitive she was a very talented dancer she was voted personality plus by her peers in high school so people really liked her like she was well liked well received okay. like 
you know, it's, that's that's awesome. That's she's like, got a Libra rising. Oh my gosh, that <laughs> makes so much sense. And she's adorable. And you, a stellium. So she, she's adorable when you listen to her talk. Like, she's a Libra. If you've never Mercury seen Libra, what she looks like Neptune or heard, Libra. okay. Wow. If you never heard her speak, like she's real cute. Like she's, Mercury's there too. Yeah, she comes off as like harmless, adorable. She she's adorable in this. So. um... She was really talented, like I said. She was also described as being very troubled, though, when mm. she got older. So, she starts, like, skipping school. She starts really struggling in life. And her father had a lot to do with this. So, this is probably going to show up all over her chart, major father issues. Like, this is super, super, um, this is super abusive. Especially emotionally. Yeah. So, her Saturn placement is square Mars and Lilith, and opposite Lilith. So we do see a lot of that, like, kind of control and conflict. So um, this is really sad. Her father legit stopped talking to her for three straight years while she lived there. Sun conjunct south node conjunct Mercury. Absent in speech. Yeah, feel free to just kind of, like, chime in because we're talking about just squeaky right now. That is so fascinating. Yeah, and it, it kind of, like... When this happens in any relationship, whether it's parent-child, whether it's romantic, whether it's siblings, this um, not speaking and unacknowledgement is called stonewalling, and it is one of the most damaging types of emotional abuse that exists. It actually is known to cause more psychological damage than physical abuse, because this literally sends the message, you are dead to me. So... Basically, giving someone uh, the silent treatment has more of a damaging effect than, like, name-calling or verbal fighting. Because when you're doing that, you're engaging. You're engaging with them and getting a response. To get nothing and receive nothing is literally like pretending you're dead. And the worst part of this, she never knew why. No idea why her father rejected her to this degree. So, if a message had to be passed between her and her father, Squeaky's mom was the middleman. Which is really awful. Like that, it upsets me that a mother would participate in that and allow it and mm-hmm. facilitate it that way. Uh, that would hurt me, I think, as well. I'd be like, yeah. my mom is like basically a- approving of this. So it really hurt her a lot to deal with it. There were several instances where she, um, where people were witnessing her self-harming. So she was self-harming mm-hmm. in public and in private. But to, to self-harm in front of people... Uh, trigger warning, I'm going to talk about a specific instance of self-harm that really, really drives it home, like that level of pain that she was experiencing. This is just intense. So one specific occasion, she used a staple gun, and she just shot it methodically all the way up her arm. Whoa. And never flinched. Like, that's fucking intense. Um, Yeah. She was actually the second member to ever join Manson's clan. So she was, like, one of the OGs, like, OG followers of Manson after her parents kicked her out when she was 19. So she met Charles Manson one day. She was walking down the road, just aimlessly walking down the road. He pulls up in his black bus, rolls down the window, takes a look at her and says, this is a quote, "Your, your parents threw you out, didn't you? Whoa. He looks at her and says, your parents threw you out, didn't you? And um, she was so convinced that he was psychic and a genius oh, because just, of this. Wow. So she hopped in. 
Which it was obvious back then. A young girl walking down the streets alone. Yeah. He pulls up and says, you know, um, oh, you know, your parents mm-hmm. threw you out, huh? Like, that's an obvious guess, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Given the wow. time. so But it made her think he's this prophet. Yeah, like it was so amazing that he's he this could say genius. That. Um, so she also really saw him as a father figure after all that rejection from her own father. She's 19, he's 32, 33. Like, she sees him in this fatherly way the entire time. She felt unconditional love within the family, and she felt it for Manson as well. So she was getting this family experience. She was so rejected by her biological family that this felt so loving. It felt more like home than anywhere else she had lived, and she was one of his most devoted followers, if not the most. So now we're going to talk about her nickname, which is obviously Squeaky. Mm Mm-hmm. We've used it several times. Um, squeaky, squeaky. So they called her this because she often squeaked when George Spawn, the gross old man who owned the ranch, would pinch her thigh. Oh, I don't like that at all. Oh, Super gross. Oh, I don't like it. Super gross. Oh, I didn't know that. Super oh, gross. Oh, my God. That's how she got her nickname. And that's the only nickname that she ever had. That one stuck. Okay, so... After the crimes were committed and the majority of the family was arrested, this is amazing, Squeaky led a demonstration outside the courthouse with the rest of Manson's followers. Um, So they're like sitting on the curb, fucking singing and protesting, and she handled all communication with the media. She did a ton of interviews. Uh, It was wild. You have to see it. She sort of just kept everything going. Like, she was always this den mother, kind Mm -hmm. of. um, That's how everybody describes her, as very matron, like, motherly, mother hen. And she's teeny tiny. She definitely doesn't look like a mom. She's young. She's little. Mm -hmm. She's soft-spoken and sweet. Like, she has a sweet quality to her. All that energy, okay? I, I, like, really, that I feel that so hard for her. (laughs) Mm Because she's, like, just so pleasant. I, like, even though she was involved in all this, like, She's adorable. And you said she was handling communications and yep, stuff? Yep, all the communication. Her moon was in Gemini, <laughs> uh, along with Pallas, so able to make those decisions. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, because mm-hmm. she's just doing all this on the outside, you know? Like, she's mm-hmm. kind of just taking it upon herself to keep it all going in, in Manson's honor. Yep, and very Gemini moon. Also, she was extremely upset. When the girls, she calls them the girls. They all call each other the girls in all mm. the interviews, which okay. is really interesting. So when Susan, Leslie, and Patricia began to publicly denounce Charles Manson after the court, mm. after all the things went down, uh, they started saying they believed he was a con artist. So this really, really upset Lynette. Mm-hmm. Squeaky. She did not like this at all. Uh, she was still extremely devoted. So devoted, in fact, that she... <laughs> This is insane. She tried to assassinate former president Gerald Ford in Manson's honor on September 5th, 1975. She showed up at Sacramento's Capitol Park dressed in a red robe, armed with a 45 caliber semi-automatic pistol, but there was no round in the chamber. So Mm. she points a gun at the president. She's immediately restrained by Secret Service. I mean, they do not fuck around. They probably, like, Tackle this tiny girl. Like, uh, you know what I mean? Um, but she did manage to say a few sentences to the on-scene cameras while she was being handcuffed and, like, hauled away. She emphasized that the gun didn't go off. 
She told reporters that she had deliberately ejected the round from the weapons chamber before she even left her house that morning. So, yeah. But that turned out to be true. Investigators did find a round in her bathroom floor. So this whole thing was fucking stupid. Uh, just It was all for, like, show. I don't know what... Actually, I do know what her point was. Okay. I'll get to her point. All right, all right. Yeah, yeah we'll, get, we'll get into her psyche. But it just kind of like looking at this, you're going, what? what? What's the point of all this? Um, she refused to cooperate with her own defense team during trial. And she just said that she was not determined to kill the guy. Direct quote. Not determined to kill the guy. Talking about President Gerald Ford. She added that she came to get life. Not just my life, but clean air, healthy water, and respect for creatures and creation. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, there's a lot going on here. Uh, it feels like she was trying to be where the family was and, like, she wanted to be, like, in prison. And, like, I felt like she was kind of seeking that and did something that she mm-hmm. knew would guarantee. She, would, she didn't have to commit a violent act. She wasn't intending to commit a violent act. She committed a public display of devotion to go to prison like everybody else. Wow. It was like her way of getting her hands dirty without getting her hands dirty so that she could prove, like, pretty much like, you didn't choose me for the murders. You didn't choose me as a soldier. But I could have done it. But I'm still a soldier. And I can do it. Yeah. Wow. I would kill for you. Here I am. But, like, she really just wanted more so to make the demonstration. She was not violent at all. This is why he did not send her on the missions. He, wow. he did not believe she could carry it out with her personality. So, if anything, she can't prove that. Yes. Right. Yes. As devoted as she was to him, she was not violent. He did not choose her for these missions. Wow. Specifically omitted her from these crimes, which is wild. But obviously, she's convicted of this crime. You can't mm-hmm. try to assassinate the president and not fucking well, go to prison. You That's know, a- she didn't have a fire moon, so, like, it just wasn't going to work out for her. <laughs> Everybody else said uh, Only fire, fire moon girls get to go murder people. Basically. Mm-hmm. Basically. And then, so, um, this is really more interesting stuff. She's an interesting being. Like, you have got to watch her talk and interact. Like, you need to see I her. I will go watch off like, after this, yeah. It's great. Like, <laughs> she's real cute. Like, you will, it, you want to like her. It's weird. Wow. It's all that Libra energy. Like, mm-hmm. you want to like her. Yes. Um. So, in 1979, Squeaky Fromm was transferred out of one facility for attacking a fellow inmate with a hammer. So, you're seeing violence in prison. Not on the outside, but in okay. this other incarcerated world mm-hmm. um you are That's seeing where it comes out yes a violent side of her come out this is this is kind of fun uh but on december 23rd 1987 she escaped from federal prison in west virginia in an attempt to meet manson so <laughs> he had testicular cancer at this time so she was really like mm-hmm. wanted to go see him she was captured two days later and incarcerated in fort worth texas after that she oh, wow. she first became eligible for parole in 2005, and um, she was entitled by federal law to a mandatory hearing after 30 years. So they, like, you know, you get the sentence 30 years into it, they're required to have this court hearing, take mm-hmm. it to the board, blah, blah, blah. They review your case, make a determination. Um, she was granted parole in July 2008 mm-hmm. because she didn't have violent crimes. Like, she didn't actually, yeah. not, she had the one situation in jail, and she did escape, and she that's why she wasn't released, actually. So, even though so she her, was, go ahead. 
No, what were you going to say? So her seventh house cusp, which is like legal stuff and all of that, has a trine to her Mars placement, which would be like about, you know, harmony with legality and like aggression. So like she wasn't that aggressive. So like... <laughs> yeah. Um, but also like... 12th house, uh, which would be more like imprisonment and stuff. She has Venus there, so it's almost like loving, caring. Like. Yeah, and also, so after her, like, she was granted parole, but they couldn't release her because they had to add extra time for her prison escape. They had oh. to, so she would have been out. They granted her parole, but she's like had another infraction. So, mm-hmm. uh, but she was actually officially released from parole from the federal medical center on August fourteenth, two thousand nine, and she moved to New York after that. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where she lives with her boyfriend in a house decorated entirely with skulls. And I approve. <laughs> I approve of this decor. Um, in twenty in a twenty nineteen televised interview, Squeaky Fromm had this to say about Charles Manson. We're gonna end her segment on this direct quote because it's so much. Are you ready? Yep. Was I in love with Charlie? Yeah, I still am. <laughs> Let's chart this bitch. Mm, mm, wow. Mm. Is that not the best? It's really something. It's really something. Oh. This is in 2019. She's still in love with him. Wow. How insane. Wow. How insane is that? Okay. All right, Lynette, let's Lynette go. Lynette was born October 22nd, 1948. So this is right on the cusp of Libra, Libra and Scorpio. I do not want arguments in the comments on exactly what day is what, the cutoff is, whatever. On the chart, she is uh, 29 degree Libra. Okay? Okay. okay. Uh, out of 30 degrees. So right at the end. There it is. Um, she also has, like I said, Mercury retrograde in Libra. Um, she has Vesta in Libra. She has Neptune in Libra. She has her ascendant in Libra. Uh, lots of Libra. Um, We've got a little conjunction down here in Gemini with Pallas retrograde, uh, the moon. Also, Uranus is right here, but it's technically on the zero degree of uh, Cancer, so it's 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 still real close. It's still right in the with the with the group there, um, and that's all in her ninth house. Um, this does make uh some trines up to all of the things going on in libra <laughs> um an air trine and it let's see there she doesn't have any like major placements she has her fifth house cusp in uh aquarius so you know i there could be like well this was like a happy time of her life like all mm-hmm. the aquarius stuff the aquarius element to like the culty stuff um but it's the only placement up in aquarius um, so well, her part of fortune, but I'm not really getting into that. It's a, if there was a grand trine, that would be it there. And then there's also, um, let's see, she's got her Mars and Sagittarius, like I was saying. Um, and she also has Jupiter and Sagittarius. Um, hmm. Her North Node is Taurus, South Node Scorpio. Her south node is real close to her son, which is what I was talking about earlier with, like, the father and the, um, 
on the south node be making it an absentee type thing and then having mercury there as well making it about language and speech and not yeah. talking to her oh uh, it's so awful like uh-huh. that still really bothers me so much as a father yeah. just living in the same house with his child mm-hmm. for three years and not acknowledging their existence and like yeah. purposely making sure they're never mm-hmm. uh, i hate and the that. controlling thing with the saturn aspects like i said mm-hmm. um so you see how like she was really susceptible to everything for sure um, all of the girls have um, either Chiron either in Scorpio, all of them except for one. Um, one of them has it in Sagittarius. So Lynette, um, Patricia, and Susan have Chiron in Scorpio, which is a lot of that energy of like being deceived and stuff mm-hmm. and being more susceptible to that on your uh, Chiron journey, your yeah. trauma journey. Um, and um, also like sexuality stuff. Um, and then a lot of that going on. Leslie in this, uh, though has it in Sagittarius, so it it's kind of more like she wasn't able to like expand her horizons more so than like oh. that was the bigger trauma on her end, which is interesting. Interesting. Um, but Le- Lynette Squeaky does have it in Scorpio, so we see a lot of that like kind of um, abuse cycle type of theme that Scorpionic one. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Mm-mm. Lilith and Pisces. Okay. Um, the way this would bring like a self empowerment type of thing through this like lens of um, like the godlike element of the cult, also um, through like this sense of boundless emotions. Like there's no boundaries. We're just all feeling and like kind of kind of. Somewhere there were that. no boundaries. She probably was really feeling that ego death stuff with all her Libra placements. She also has, when you have a Libra rising, all of your houses are essentially flipped from their rulers. So um, instead of Aries ruling the first house, you know, like in her chart, it's in charge of the seventh house, which is the opposite of okay. what Aries rule. So, um, yeah. So the shadow and the ego is in the sign of not having an ego (laughs) and then vice versa. Like, um, your shadow gets to the ego energy like that, like Aries, like fuel. (laughs) Um, and then your identity gets this kind of like hollow shadowy stuff. So it's, it's one of the things that people talk about when like it, it, it makes sense when people talk about, um, Libra energy having a hard time making like a, a strong decision, like it's it's kind of there's that kind so of thing. Like, there's, there's so much opposition. There's so much. You're kind of like looking at yourself through the reflection of other people. You're kind of balancing your out yourself out with partnerships. That's why it's yeah. also associated with partnerships. Um, so I think a lot of her, like she probably doesn't. She has a hard time having a strong identity, like yeah, um, so and like seeing people. it herself without yeah. someone else around. So that's why she like loved the family and loved. The, yeah, yeah, that was really. Um, and then with the seventh house with. With Aries, like, you kind of see why, like, in a partnership, it got to be, like, this really, um, like, warrior-y, fiery energy. Um, but, yeah, her, um, let's see. I'm trying to see what else I want to mention off of here. Um, yeah, we have one more to cover after this. We'll yeah. look at text. I think that, 
Oh, all well, the girls also had this like Saturn coming out of Leo into Virgo. Um, and I think that the having like the structure of where Manson had his like Neptune and Mars placement and like all of his Leo crap. So I think I think a lot of his like really <laughs> You're so funny. <laughs> a lot of his like oh I'm gonna put these uh worldviews on you and these actions and this control like it really fit with their structure of life ah. um which is right which was right there on the, in that same area on the chart um so we see that with her too she also has pluto and saris and leo where he did um so I, I see why she feels so like her foundation of love is like she, so similar she yeah. is she's vibing with it like, yeah she's, she's really comforted by him mm-hmm He's um, like a father. He's mm -hmm. like a father she never had. Yeah. Yeah. She's uh, really... And she, you know, she likes... Mm. It's also comforting with her south node in Scorpio. It's like your comfort zone. It's what your your past. It's what, you know, what you feel used to. And that's where he's got Jupiter and Mercury and Sun and Venus. Like, it's very... It's very um, comforting and, like, nice for her... Um, I think they also would have had a Venus sextile looking at it. Um, yeah, because hers is in Virgo. So they would have had um, this set Venus sextile Venus thing going on where like really like caring, supportive energy look like for her. Yeah. You see, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that with the girls, um, but like definitely with her. She is by far the most devoted follower, you mm -hmm. know. Saying the word devoted, um, oh, okay. Vesta and Libra on Neptune, like, yeah, she needed this kind of, like, visionary yeah. type thing to be devoted to. Wow. Um, mm. From the first time he spoke to her, she was, like, pretty much devoted. Yeah. So there was, like, an, an intense That godlike thing. Yeah, yeah, between them. All right, we're going to move on to Charles Tex Watson, the... Manson boy. Do your thing. Do it. Say it. Do your thing. The Manson boy. I was going to say, I can't Manson remember how it goes. Boy. Manson boy. So, yeah, we got our Manson boy, another Sagittarius, which is crazy. So, wait, he's also born December 2nd. Do they have the same birthday? Does he have the same Who? birthday as uh, one of the girls? He's the same birthday. May 7th. Oh, December one day 3rd. apart. Well, he's he's the day before Patricia Cromwell. Mm -hmm. um, but they're two years apart. Yeah. Okay, I just, the, the birthday was, was really stuck out. I was like, wait Another a Sagittarius. Another Sagittarius. Um, the reason they called him Tex, he was born in Dallas, Texas. Uh, he was the youngest of three children. Like the girls, he grew up going to church. He was an honor student. He was editor of the school paper. He was the captain of the football team. He's a very mm -hmm. normal kid. He set a state track record for jumping hurdles in high school. In September 1964, he moved to go to college. He went to the University of North Texas. Mm -hmm. He became a member of Pi Kappa Alpha fraternity and seeking community. You see a theme of seeking community and brotherhood and mm -hmm. like that type of they want it yeah want it's, it's something that was very much he was searching for similar to the girls but his path is very different it feels very mm -hmm. idealistic so far but in january 1967 when he was 22 he started working at an airport as a baggage handler so mm. he got free airline tickets as a perk and he decided to start traveling. Big Sagittarius energy. <laughs> I work for a fucking airport. Big gonna, Sag. Yeah, big Sag energy. Oh, well, don't worry. He has a stellium there and okay. he is a Sagittarius. <laughs> 
That makes all the sense. Um, so he got involved with the Manson family after he visited one of his fraternity brothers who had lived in L.A. Because mm. he's like, I can go wherever I want. I'm going to visit my friend in L.A. Like, going to go on out there. Um, so he quickly became interested in using psychedelic drugs. He enjoyed the music and the lifestyle. Just kind of like that whole late 1960s, early 1970s kind of vibe. Like, he was mm-hmm. vibing on that energy just like everybody else was in that Generation, Like, this was something they were all feeling collectively was not uncommon at the time. Um, but it was a step down a bad path for him from where he was. You know, like, yeah. this is a kind of a sharp turn. It's like, oh, we're doing this now. Because he a was... A pivot, a pivot. Yeah, he was seeking all this higher learning, other Sagittarius things. Like, he's seeking all this, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to school, I'm going to higher learning, I'm doing all these things, um, taking that, but also... he It's like he got distracted or diverted uh-huh. or something kind you of... U-turn. Like, yes. Yes. He took a he took a different turn on this path, and um, like I said, he was one of the very few male followers of Charles Manson. He played a huge instrumental role in the murders, both before and during the times that the crimes were committed. So he was twenty four at this point. Trigger warning: He actually gave the girls murder lessons to help prepare them for what they were going to do for their mission their big mission that they're doing he showed them exactly how to stab a person how to make the wounds more impactful by bringing the knife up at the end um direct quotes from the girls because you would cut up more stuff that way um yeah he was super involved with the actual murders he either personally shot or stabbed every single one of the victims at both the Tate and the LaBianca murders. Out of everyone, he inflicted the most fatal or non-survivable injuries. Extremely violent. And we're talking with these murders, the victims were stabbed, some of them over a hundred times. This was a bloodbath. This was insanely violent. This was a a mess when they were trying to murder five people at once in a chaotic mm-hmm. stabbing Sharon Tate begging for her life and the life of her unborn child and begging them to spare her. And they're laughing and they're being really over-the-top ridiculous. Kind of reminds me of Columbine with the behavior of the over-the-top, the theatrics mm. of the entire group and the dramatics and making it extra witchy. And that's a direct quote of Manson mm-hmm. told them to make it extra witchy, which is why they wrote in blood. Like, there's a theatrical level involved here. It's extremely Uh, Yes, that's a very Leo thing to do. And Charles Tex Watson was just the most violent of them. So Mm -hmm. he needed to be there. You know, if they'd turned the girls loose by themselves, even though it was still, like, messy, as Manson described it, like, he knew that the job would at least get done if he sent Tex uh, to do this with the girls and to train them and kind of get them revved up for it. Mm -hmm. So, actually, this this is a fun thing from one of the documentaries when they were heading out on their first killing the first night august 8th because th- these murders were one night apart so they okay. killed the tate murders were mm-hmm. one night very next night the Labianca murders okay. so they were trying to like get it a bunch done yes right get a lot once. done get it all done at once create a big uh public issue yeah. like people to really notice it mm-hmm. and be scared so as they're leaving in their vehicle to head to the scene, somebody in the family asked where they were going as they were leaving the commune. One of the girls said, we're going to kill some motherfucking pigs. Of course. Of and then, course. So they're in, a, they're in a mood. They're a vibe. They're yeah. a whole mood together as a group. Um, but just Tex in general was extremely violent. 
Um, in the first, after the first set of murders was committed, and the second set, like he he was super involved in that. He actually fled the ranch like two months later and went back to Texas. So, he tried to avoid all of the getting caught, mm-hmm. all of the court stuff, and he did avoid it for a while, which is pretty interesting. Um, it bought him some time, but mm. what's he, he bought extradition back to California for nine months, so he was able to avoid this whole thing for just not mm-hmm. a long time, but a little bit. They uh, brought him in. Whenever they brought him into custody in the state of California, he did some extreme demonstrations of protest. He stopped talking and he stopped eating. He ended up losing 55 pounds and started regressing to like a catatonic state. So super extreme. Wow. Super extreme. These are all things that I picked out because I thought maybe you could see it on the chart. Mm-hmm. Um, he was admitted to the state hospital for a 90-day evaluation period to determine whether or not he was fit uh to stand trial. This is a competency hearing is what this is known as. So, uh, he stayed in this facility until February of 1971 when he was finally, you know, deemed to be competent, just really intense stuff to kind of cause these delays. He's causing all of these own delays. Like he, he avoided, Mm -hmm. he avoided punishment. And once he's in there, he's like finding a way to be in control of it. It feels like a major control issue, especially with the not eating, not talking, like I'm in control and now I'm going to go to this other facility. I'm not even going to be in prison. I'm going to be in the hospital. Wow. Like he's big time taking charge of this entire thing. But on October 12th, 1971, He's convicted on seven counts of first-degree murder, one count of conspiracy to commit murder. Everybody's still in prison, except for, I believe it was Susan, who already passed away. So, that is the Manson Family Overview. So, we're going to cover Texas chart, and then we're going to wrap it up and get into our Patreon episode. We are going to do Aruka Charles Manson Sinistry reading, and I can't fucking wait. So... Um, yeah, get on our Patreon for that. You do not want to miss it. I can't wait. Anyway, back to Charles <laughs> Watson. I'm, I'm amped. I'm amped. I know. I'm, I feel I have a lot of mixed feelings. I'm okay. Gonna, I'm going to enjoy it a lot. Okay. okay. <laughs> all right. So, um, all right. So, yeah, te- Tex, Tex was born, um, another Charles, though. Like, especially with me saying about my girl. Okay. Um, Tex was born December 2nd. 1945. Same birthday as Britney Spears. At 9.05 p.m. He is a Sagittarius with also Mercury Retrograde, uh, Ceres, Vesta, South Node, and all there, and Pallas. Um, He is a Scorpio moon. Uh, moon conjunct Venus and Scorpio, which we see that like Venus and Scorpio devotion for Manson right there. And his feelings are all wrapped up in Manson, obviously. Um, yeah. And his and a lot of his like sense of empowerment too. He's got Lilith there. Um, and this is all in the fourth house. Like it feels like home to him, stuff like that. <laughs> um, he is a Leo rising. His first planet is um, Mars. So having all the fire and Mars there on your ascendant is definitely going to give you that like a more, most aggressive Mm -hmm. vibe, most violent vibe, most aggressive, most like, almost like showboaty. Yeah, I was going to say there's showmanship involved in this entire thing. I was going to say showmanship. Yeah. 
So when we look at that U-turn we were talking about, mm -hmm. uh, where he like took a shift in his life, he was doing all the Sag things and then he shifted. So with his south node in Sagittarius, that is going to be like the beginning portion of his life, all the Sagittarius stuff. And then he does a fast U-turn right at the, at the 29th <laughs> degree, 59th second of Sagittarius. Um, and he shifts to that of Gemini. Um, and when you have, oh. when you are into like the Gemini energy, then you're getting a lot of this, I'm going to teach something. I'm going to show, I'm going to talk and be like part of my little family group and like, you know, like my close little friends and all of that stuff. So I think there's, uh, it's really interesting having that shift in his life. I think it is represented with the way that he shifted also like. Oh, we're not gonna like go on this whole journey anymore. Now we're gonna be in this little group of people. Yeah, we're gonna join a commune um, instead of being a world traveler. Yeah, like we're gonna join a small community. Like this, That's so interesting. It's, it's it's similar enough, but like a different, like on the Gemini side. Yeah. Um, and also interesting, it is in his eleventh house, so we get a lot of that like very like community vibe too, like society stuff. Um, he's got Uranus there. Uh, which I can't remember what you said, but there was something that made me really think, oh, Uranus, yeah, it's right there. Um, I don't remember what I said specifically <laughs> that could have tied to that. But, right. Um, um, and then he has, um, with the, with the, she's being so, okay, so Texas Saturn placement is what I was looking at a lot with the, like, court stuff and the, like, prison and stuff okay so his saturn is in the 12th house in cancer oh retrograde okay it is opposing his seventh house cusp so that shows like all these and saturn has a lot to do with timing and restriction and like structuring and like all of that stuff so um <laughs> i'm like putting all of this um these delays and trying to like make the structure work harder or like, you know, making things, um, also having it be retrograde, like literally slowing Saturn down, like is fascinating. Um, but like having it aspecting his seventh house and being in his 12th house where like once he gets into prison, like he's being really restrictive and he's like trying to orchestrate the timing of things and he's trying to be like, you know, he's trying to be in control of it. And mm -hmm. also like he's actually trying to put himself in a different space because he knows that doing extreme things like stopping mm -hmm. eating, stopping talking, having dramatic weight loss, like impacting his health. They're mm -hmm. going to have to take him out of that prison setting and put him in a hospital, which is a way better conditions. It's not great. State hospitals are mm -hmm. by no means like a fucking five-star hotel. Yeah. But it is very much like a better environment than prison. Like mm -hmm. you're kind of getting taken care of. Right. Like you're not, it's not prison. It's not prison. And, uh, yeah. And his sixth house, which is where you see a lot of that health stuff uh, come through. Like he has Folas there. Okay. Mm. It's in Capricorn. He has Folas there. It's more of that Saturnian, Saturnian, Saturn uh, ruler. Saturn rules Capricorn. Um, <laughs> that Saturn like like structure putting all of that timing and stuff into that and it's like bolus like let's be really extreme about it um, yeah. let's be really extra about it and on the chart bolus does also oppose his saturn uh in the sixth house so um it is very uh leaning on like health and being dramatic with it and like you know making it almost kind of like antagonizing it health wise like um definitely is a thing on his chart 
Um, he's got some sextiles to that photo placement, which I thought were interesting. They're um, to his moon and, and Venus and Pallas. Like, it's very, like, comforting for him to exercise this system <laughs> on his chart. Um, he also may become kind of known for it in a, like, maybe not fully, but like partially. Uh, he's probably more known for kind of like the, being the aggressive stuff. Yeah, that's he's what got, I was just going to say. He's got Midheaven in Aries. Oh, mm -hmm. that makes sense. But yeah, what I was thinking, looking at here is that he's got Folus making this grand square or grand cross on his chart. I'm going to say it backwards. Um. He's got the Grand Cross on his chart with uh, Pholus, the Midheaven, um, Saturn, and uh, his little conjunction in Libra, which is Jupiter, Chiron, and Juno. Um, so he gets, it's like this like big stress-staring, stressed, like, um, trying to make opportunities out of the stress and the timing and the health stuff. It just kind of all like fits in that. Opportunity, making opportunities um, out of the stress. That is like, that <laughs> really resonates with everything in his chart. And it's not like wow. the main thing off of his midheaven that, but like it is there. And that's, um, you definitely see that with, yeah. specifically with like the legality stuff. Mm -hmm. He finds a way to turn that into like he's still in charge. Mm -hmm. Like it's he's using it yeah. in a way that's like still serving him somehow. Yes, which that's really kind of impressive, honestly. It is. Like, it's kind of his midheaven also has some trines over to his Sagittarius stuff, uh, like Mercury and Ceres and Vesta. So he again, he is known for um, like. Oh, like talking and speaking and uh, being devoted to and uh, being in like that caring system of like um, like really going all the way with that stuff like where he was with the um, with Manson. Uh, Manson also had Vesta in Sagittarius. Mm -hmm. um, it's like it's, it's something. It's compatible. It's compatible. Mm -hmm. uh, anything so. else you see on his chart that you want to talk about? Mm -hmm. Are we kind of... He, he, you know, Neptune moves slow. He also has it in Libra like the girls did. It's like a generational uh -huh. situation. Yeah. But, you know, they were younger than him, so it's also... Right. You know, he kind of did span over, like, different kind of generational planet placements because um, Manson's Neptune again was in Virgo so it hadn't moved into Libra yet so he was able to kind of take advantage of of that with uh, the, getting into younger people so yeah mm -hmm. that is that is interesting yeah Urgh. so yeah that's that's Texas chart I think okay. those were the highlights off of his um, again if you guys want to see all these charts they are on our Patreon Yes, get on our Patreon. Um, mm -hmm. So that is the Manson family we covered. Manson, we covered three of the main girls. We covered Squeaky From. We covered Tex Watson. We really did uh, a lot in this episode. Mm -hmm. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Let us know what you think. Uh, we would love a five-star rating. If you are still here, like, seriously, you enjoyed it. Just, <laughs> just, just fucking admit it. And give us that five. We earned it. No. <laughs> I hope we've earned it. <laughs> 
but definitely uh, really helps us. It really just helps other people find the podcast. Mm-hmm. So share it with somebody you think might like it. Help us out. Doesn't cost you anything. It takes like two seconds. Give us five stars. Give us a like. Follow, subscribe, rate, review, all those things. If you want more content, if you are like, uh, I really want more episodes. I feel like I need more things. Mm-hmm. Get on Patreon. We have three <laughs> tiers. You can choose, you know, different mm-hmm. levels, different monthly costs. And we have all kinds of cool perks. We have merchandise. We have all sorts of stuff. So go to darkalignmentpodcast.com. Follow us on social media because we're a good time. We try to make fun shit um, available to you at all times uh, on our story. Like we try to have fun, engaging posts. Mm-hmm. Us individually, too. Follow us. Connect with us. We love hearing from you guys. We love episode suggestions. Mm-hmm. That is something we um, always appreciate. Mm-hmm. And uh, until next time, um, please remember to chart all the bitches in your life and stay awesome, everybody. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye.